hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode. Uh, so first of all, before we get started, I just want to do like a little bit of house cleaning. Um, recently, I was very fortunate enough to be to take off to Adelaide and uh, help host some podcasts for the Roses in the Oceans organization uh, who work with suicide awareness. Um, so you can check out the Roses and Radio podcast that will be coming, uh, some of those episodes will be coming out very shortly. So very excited about that. I'll definitely keep everyone posted and uh, there'll be links in the descriptions when they start coming out. In the meantime, if you want to check it out further, you can always head to the website, which is rosesintheocean.com.au. Uh, absolutely fantastic team and as I said, incredibly grateful to be a part of it. Also, and some really big news here in Australia is that Equinor has decided to pull out drilling for oil in the Great Australian Bight. It is an absolute massive win for the Southern Ocean and the Southern Coast of Australia and New Zealand uh, and for the world, to be completely frank with you. Um, it was an absolutely shocking proposal and I just couldn't be happier, along with millions of other people. Uh, so that's exciting. So this is also segueing into my amazing guest today that I had in, Damien Cole. I was incredibly excited to have this inspirational man on the podcast. And holy shit, what a year Damien Cole had in 2019. He ran as a local independent in the federal election. He was a massive major key player in seeing off Equinor in the Fight for the Bike campaign. He nearly died in a major surfing accident, battled depression, and he also fell in love. This is one hell of a story and, and I'm just incredibly grateful and thrilled to have been able to bring it to you and sat down and had a good talk with him. So without further ado, here he is, Damien Cole. Good, good. Hey, bro. Hey. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, Cheers. No worries, mate. There we go. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Where have you been? Where have I been? Uh, the last few weeks, I've had a really good start to 2020, actually. Um, went down to Tassie for 10 days um, yep. and then went over to Indonesia for three weeks and then just went down to Tassie again for five days with my mum. I uh, just got back last night. So. I'd love to go to Tassie. You know, I've got a mate down there, um, Prema, who's a rapper. And oh, he's, yeah, cool. yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just opened a um, he's just opened a seafood restaurant in Hobart. He's awesome. Like, got to come down and, and uh, mate, Tassie is one of the most incredible places I've ever been to. It's it's up there. It's it's I think it's my favourite state in Australia. It really is. There's just hidden gems around every corner. It's it's. Just, it's incredible, yeah. I still haven't been. I can't believe I haven't been. I feel pretty guilty about it. It's the only place that I've been told sort of resembles New Zealand in some way. And I still haven't. And it's so cheap. Yeah. It's only like yeah. 80 bucks to get there and 80 to oh, get back. And if I can give you some advice, just grab a van. And, really? You know, yeah, grab a van and do that. Like, and just cruise. You go down Bruni Island. How long do you reckon you need? Oh, it's, it's one of those. That's the, actually, that's one thing with Tassie. You kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, I'll just do Tassie in a week. But, you know, like, it's just a little island just yeah. south of us, but uh, it, it's quite, uh, not hard to get around, but the roads aren't great. They're really windy and it takes a little while. So I'd say for you to get a good sense of what Tassie is, minimum two weeks, I'd say. Yeah. All right. But, but if you can do a month, even better. Uh, um, <coughs> so some people think about that with the New Zealand as well. Some people look at New Zealand and they go, oh, we'll go we're going to go to like the South Island for a week, spend there and just travel around the South Island for a week. I'm like... 
Motherfucker, you, you like it's Where sexy. Are you going? <laughs> it's sexy. It's quite a fucking big island, man. And oh, there's a yeah. lot of shit to see. You're gonna yeah. like it's a week, so you sort of really need like maybe I mean there's there's things you can do in a week. Like I'm sure in Tassie there's there's shit you oh. can do in a week and it's that's enough. But it, it's like it's a lot of driving. For like, that's the thing. It's it's you end up I remember the actually funnily I, the first time I went to Tassie, I was in year ten and we did this we did a trip down there with school. And I swear they tried to get us to see the whole island in like three days. And, I, <laughs> and all I speak to all of my mates now, my school friends, and all we can remember is the bus. Like so we, we just, we just sat time. in a bus for most of the time, you know. And it was oh, like fuck. that's all I can really remember. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's it, if you want to really know a place, it's like those crew that go on Contiki tours in Europe. And yeah, they're like, oh man, the I did 27 way. cities. Yeah. Oh yeah, how long were you in Europe for? Oh, 29 days. And you're like, I feel exactly oh, the same. Like, yeah, I don't think you should. I don't think. I mean, th- this is me personally. I know some people love doing the Kentucky thing and the the guided tours and stuff like that through. And like going to all the landmarks and all the tourist spots, which are important. Tourist yep. spots are important for hey, a reason. Good. It's good for the economy. It's great for the economy. <laughs> well. yeah, it is. So good. On and them. they yep. exist for a reason. Yep. You know what I mean? Like they they call them tourist destinations for a reason because they're amazing. Yeah. Yep. But for me, it's traveling and going to different places and different countries and is more about instead of me just going there it's more about me experiencing the culture and the people yeah. the food surf's pretty important always 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 yeah you know it's always a great excuse as surfers where you know you just throw a board in you're like it's an excuse to travel really and, and find waves for sure but yeah, yeah definitely it's that it is that kind of getting lost and actually being out of your comfort zone. I think yeah. that's the point. I, I've never understood how people can travel to the other side of the world so that they can go sit at a resort where everybody just speaks English. They have Western food. They have the exact same food from home, the same drinks, the same everything. And then they, it's like, what have you experienced? Like just a resort really. Like, I don't know. God damn you, McDonald's opening up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Eh? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at least I suppose it does provide some people like, you know, like there's that fear thing that when people go away, they're afraid that they're going to get sick or they're not going to enjoy the food or something like that. I, you know, I kind of, I can, I guess I can understand that, but. Mate, I reckon I've only ever gotten sick off Western food when I've been in. Really? Because you yeah. spent time in Bali as well. You've never in, been to Bali? Indonesia. No, but I mean, a little, you know, a little bit of spitty. A little bit of a rub. <laughs> <laughs> we Pretty all get that. Yeah. But in terms of actual sickness, I think I've only gotten sick kind of two or three times and it's always been. I got it once from pasta, uh, actually twice from pasta. Pasta? Yeah, How the yep. fuck did you get sick from pasta? Yeah, this is the first time I went to Indo. I spent a month in Bali when I was 17 with some friends. Um, that was an eye-opener. I was a 17-year-old. It was like, woohoo. Um, and then I th- it was the last night and we went to this Brazilian restaurant and I got a pasta there. And I'd been good for a whole month and I'd just been eating local food and uh, I will admit I did have McDonald's a couple of times at three o'clock in the morning. It's there easy, too, man. But it's easy. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you're 17 and partying and yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I got sick from pasta. So there you go. I don't know. From Indo food, I love that stuff. Hey, I can never get enough of nasi champur. Yeah, I, I struggled in, in uh, when I went to Bali, not, you know, uh, for my cousins. My, one of my cousins got married there and, um, Went and uh, kind of loved it, kind of didn't because of the Seminyak uh, whatever, Kuda, yeah, Kudo. all that sort of, it was really full on. And 
Uh, I didn't get sick. So there was, and there was, so aside from the really full on part, there was this, the, the most amazing food that I had was this little restaurant that we went into and it was all like these vines and lights hanging down really low, this really low ceiling, but near Simiak somewhere. And this, re- and the kitchen was in the middle of the place and you could watch people prepare and cook all the food. And I got this like, I have no fucking idea what it was. It was fish kind of thing wrapped in this banana leaf with these like little flat, Indonesian bread kind of I don't know what the fuck it was and I was like what is this and it was incredible it was like some of the best food yeah. I think I've ever had oh and that's again why why would you go kind of and oh, listen I've been I've been I'm, I'm I'm probably being a bit hypocritical I do go to Bali and eat western food for sure but I just love Indonesian food and feeling that different yeah seeing those completely different tastes and smells yeah and yeah like yeah, that, yeah. You know? so, yeah 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 um yeah I think that for me is a huge part food is a huge part of travel so hey, hola hola amigo you're right Do you, Kieran, Alice, Alice, Kieran. hola Alice Sorry, special we're yeah. special guests yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um right on topic and, okay. comf- and comfort zones. Yeah, for sure. So um, we've just recently, so this podcast will be released pretty soon. So we've just recently found out that Equinor has pulled out of the Great Australian Bite. So congratulations, everyone. Yeah. Congratulations yourself. Uh, thanks, Damien. mate. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Ah, uh, ecstatic. I'm, you know, a huge sense of relief as well. Yeah. And it's... Kind of, uh, I guess, it's given me a little bit of hope and, and it's reinstated my faith in, in humanity. Um, and not just humanity, but just the world of just... So many people around the country worked so tirelessly on this campaign and it was one that was so obviously... Such an obviously horrendous, you know, um, proposition to, to go out and drill in the middle of the bite when it, the, the risks are so high, we're putting so much, you know, we're putting our whole coastline at risk. It just, none of it made sense. And then to have the community out, out, yeah. outcry from around the country and have tens of thousands of people come out onto their beaches and protest against it, to have 31,500 submissions, not, not, not assigned petition, that's submissions. And that was four questions that were really hard to, to kind of to answer. We still got thirty-one and a half thousand of them, you know. To have so many people behind this, and then for it to still get approved, that was really, really deflating at, at the end of December. So having having uh, so uh, just to quantify and put a bit of context for people out there, there's uh, and I've got a lot of listeners in France. Hola, uh, bonjour, <laughs> bonjour, bonjour, uh, but, uh, and and America and that just to put some context into it so there's a or do you want to do that yeah 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 so, so i can i can run you through the whole okay. kind of story so let's, if you let's want hit, let's, let's quickly uh, go over the context so, of the situation so what's happened is if we go right right back uh the great australian bite which is on the southern coastline of australia um yep. it's kind of where it looks like a shark has taken a bite out of the bottom of australia for anyone who can visualize that um it's a pristine environment uh which 85 percent of the species in that area are endemic to that area so only found there um, it's a huge breeding and nursery, a breeding area and nursery for whales, for a, f- a number of different whales. Um, 
it's just an incredible raw beauty down there. You are in the middle of nowhere. It's got the longest continuous cliff line, uh, ocean cliff line in the world. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and when you stand across it, you feel very small. And it's just this place that it's one of the last. They, they kind of the, a lot of scientists and stuff have called it the Galapagos of Australia. It's this biodiversity hotspot. It's just incredible. Um, also, <clears throat> we've got a couple of national marine parks down there as well, off the coast. Uh, we've got the biggest fishing fleet in the Southern Hemisphere in South Australia. Uh, tourism's huge, obviously, all across the Southern coastline, and that's what a lot of us, you know, particularly in Torquay here, yeah. we, we base ourselves around tourism for, for a, lot of, a lot of our economy and the Great Ocean Road and the Twelve Apostles. Then in 2011, I believe it was, or it might have been 2012, uh, then the then resource minister, uh, Labor resource minister, opened up the area, cut up this huge chunk of, of the bite and opened it up for uh, leases uh, for oil companies to go and explore in that area. Uh, in the, Straight away, we had Chevron BP pick up some of the leases and then with some pressure from some of the environmental groups in Australia, um, BP pulled out in 2016 and then Chevron shortly after in 2017. Yep. And then a Norwegian oil company called, uh, well, formerly known as Statoil, who then rebranded to Equinor, just because it sounds a little bit better to brand. <laughs> uh, so There's reasons for the rebrand, which I can run through yeah. uh, later on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's a company that's two-thirds owned by the Norwegian government. Right. So 67% owned by the Norwegian government. Uh, they came in here and then they kind of, they for some reason thought that they were better than BP and, and Chevron and said, oh, no, no, we can do it safely. Um, and then, yeah, so then that's, I jumped in in 2018 um, when Sean Doherty, who's a, a journalist, a surf journalist from Australia, yep. also works with Patagonia, incredible guy. Uh, this was during my state election campaign uh, where I ran as an independent candidate. And, uh, yeah, he kind of called me and I still remember the, the, the conversation vividly where he explained everything. And I, I remember, you know, he was like, yep, Norwegian oil company, Equinor. And I, I was like hang on, didn't, I thought we won this. Didn't BP pull out? And he's like, yeah, there's a new company now, you know. They, they, they kind of tend to line up like that. Uh, and then he just said, listen, I, I, think, I think this will be really good for your campaign and I think that you can really help okay. us. Yep. Uh, and I just kind of remember saying, I'd just finished work, I was just on site, I, I, I was la a labourer, and I remember pulling out of work and I, just, and I remember just going, oh, you know what, mate, with or without the campaign, I'm on board. You can just get me on, this is Fucking bullshit. Like, there is no way... How is it that we've, we can even contemplate having a project that is risking so much? Uh, so I was like, listen, I'm on, I'm on board. Um, and then, yeah, just got right into it and started really pushing, pushing it around town and pushing it around our coastline, trying to raise some awareness as to what was happening because a lot of these projects tend to go... Kind of, they, they tend to go through without any public consultation so or what's very the limited. what's the process then that let's just uh freeze for a second and then go into the process that an oil company needs to take to for the government to assess their tender of a leased land for natural for for natural uh resource for for resource uh, mining yep. like Oil and gas and gold. Uh, so there is four steps which you're, you're testing me at the moment. Um, but the biggest one is the environmental plan. Yeah. Whether you can kind of safely mitigate or reduce any risks and kind of what, you know, the, the, the kind of what ifs. 
Um, yep, and sure. Risk matrix and all of that. And I've actually, again, full disclosure as well, I've worked in the mining industry and the offshore industry through, yeah, my, through my 20s and we have spoken about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done the um, same. Yeah. And throughout my 20s. And so I know quite a bit about, you know, I've, I've obviously, I've come, you know, I've, I've definitely had a big change of career since. Um, but I, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so it, it's really interesting to see because they do have these risk mat- matrices that are, you know, the risk of something happening or sorry, the, the potential of, of what the hazard will do yeah. and then the risk and, and kind of um, what, the likely, what the likelihood of it is sure. going to be. Sure. Um, and looking at the way that they did their environmental plan, it was kind of, it was almost hilarious. Like some of the stuff that they state of... You know, just, oh, well, when the oil comes, we'll just disperse it with this chemical, so it's fine. And being offshore, because it was 372 kilometres offshore, so that's 230 mile or something like that, I think. Yeah, well, so it's just off the coast of South South Australia. It's right in the middle. If you can see that, the bite, it's 372 kilometres off that coast. So it's a long, long way. And they made it out as a good thing as oh, well, that's good because the high seas will disperse the oil once the chemical hits it. And you're just kind of going like, what? Like, hang on. And what's this chemical that you're, you're putting? And what's it actually doing? Oh, it's dispersing it, which means that it's just going below the sea level. You know, so it's, it's just, it's, we're, we're sinking the oil and it's like... Yeah, that's, onto fish. That's not, yeah, and whales <laughs> and, and animals, turtles yeah. and sharks. And, you know, it's kind of like, Reef. what? Hang on. Like, yeah. And then we're expecting to send all the fishermen out there to... So this environmental plan was the first one and then they, you you meant to go through a uh, safety management plan and then there's four kind of steps, but the biggest one is that environmental plan. So, and then also including with that, um, the the biggest part of the process that they go through, the part of the process they go through is they put it up to community debate to to gather whether or not the community is behind it or against it. They do have community consultation initially. Sure. Uh, which they obviously, they kind of choose who they consult with. Mm-hmm. Um, which are what, representatives of the community, I'm sure. Which, well, it depends which, because we didn't get, we, we had zero contact with Equinor personally or anyone from Torquay, even though, so to put it actually in perspective, sorry, I'll, I'll just for a sec, the spill forecast modelling by Equinor, yeah. their own environmental plan stated in a worst case scenario, if there were an oil spill that were of a similar magnitude to the one that happened in the Gulf of Mexico yep. um, back in 2010, yep. it had the potential to, risk, to, to reach the whole southern coast of Western Australia, so that's going back against the, the, the predominant currents, all the way along the south, southern coast of Australia, so that's Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, it would envelop the whole of Tasmania and then go halfway up the coast uh, of, New uh, uh, of New South Wales, up to Port Macquarie. So that's roughly about a third of Australia would be decimated and have oil lapping up on its beaches. That's, that's what we were looking at going, and it, hey, even if there was a 1% chance or a 0.1% chance that this would happen, the fact that there's that risk, it's too much. You know, it, 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 for me, that should just be a no. That's where we're closing down the, the gates on this one. No, that's yeah, not going to happen. I'm not going to get on that bus. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it, it, it's like there's not a very good chance it's going to happen, but if it does, we're fucked. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, hang on. Like then there was, a, then there was things that uh, – so the thing that ended up ca- – they, they have a capping station, which they invented during the Gulf of Mexico disaster. Sure. Um, which th- that took 89 days to cap. 
they said that so they they now have to have one around the they've got to have a few around the world to be able to de deploy in case Just, of, of an oil spill. Sure, yeah, okay. For us, it was the quickest they could get it there was eighteen days, initially. It's better than eighty nine. It's better than eighty nine. <laughs> That's only to get it there. Then right. you have to put it down to the bottom, which is two point two kilometers down. It's over two kilometers deep below the sea, sea surface. But to put it in perspective as well, that same spill forecast modelling said that in the event of an oil spill, it would reach the coast of Australia, Streaky Bay, within 10 days. So straight away, you're going, hang on, so you've just given up on the South Australian community, on, on friends of mine who are sitting there going, well, hang on, what, we're just not good enough? We're, you know, like... So then they, and they said, oh, no, now we've got it for 14 days. You know, we've got, we've got it down to 14 days. And they'd have to fly it into Sydney because it was so big, this capping station. Fly it into Sydney, transport it by train because the, the Adelaide airport sure, wasn't yeah. big enough or whatever. Then they've got to assemble it, send it out there. Then you've got – it's the highest energy ocean in the world. So to wait for something – to wait for, for the ocean to be calm enough to deploy. Just in case there's a storm or You know, whatever. like there's just – there's all these ifs and buts and maybes <laughs> and, you know, and then what if it doesn't work? And what if – you know, there's just too many ifs and buts and that's why I kind of – for us, we were just looking at – and that's – I look at these environmental plans and I know them because we've gone – I've gone through them as a worker – yeah. Where it's a flick and tick, you're just kind of like, oh, no, well, we're going to mitigate the risk by doing this, you know? Oh, yeah, we're going to put extra safety barriers here and we're going to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be honest with you, mate, working in the mines, I know, it's like it's all bullshit. You just do whatever you can to get, you, to get on with the job. So uh, let's go sort of onto a track of what we were sort of started with in terms of the community, the, 30, the 31,000 yeah. letters. And so how did, so what was it about this? What came out of like, why do they thank you? So that actually, interestingly enough, I think this was probably a mistake on their, on their behalf. They went with public, they went with, oh, they voluntarily put their environmental plan out for consultation. So that it wasn't so it wasn't something that was mandatory. They didn't have to. It's now become mandatory. I'm pretty sure. I'll have to double check okay. that. Well, we can someone fact check fact me, please, yeah, within, yeah. within Australia. But I think the that they... Yeah. There was a thing there where they just got, a, got away with it or something. Sure. Anyway, but it, like, the, the point is they put it out and they... Again, I think that they came into Australia quite arrogant because they do have a relatively good track record around the world. Well, so... Compared to others. Sure. I mean, it's still... Oh, that'll never come out. It's I've like chocolate. It. I've got red wine. Oh. All right. Okay, so... Um, well, Damo runs off and he's just made the point about the relatively clean record. Not Seema used to... Or Ep, uh, not Seema, I'm terribly sorry, guys. The uh, Equinor used to be called Stat Oil. Um, and they had three previous spills in Norway, so in the North Sea out there. Hey, I'm not saying that they're perfect. No. But compared to some of the other uh, companies around the world, the Norwegian regulations are qu like quite strong. They're quite, quite tight. So, but, but at the end of the day, shit happens everywhere. And this is... Yeah, sure. that's, that's okay. my, But this is exactly it. I'm not... I'm not hey, I'm not, I'm not on their side by any stretch of the imagination. But... This is the point is they, they kept telling us and they had ads about it that were going on around Australia saying after, you know, after years of research and consultation, we now, uh, we now are sure that we can do this safely. How can you be sure? It's like, it's even like, like when you get into a car, do you put your seatbelt on? Yes. 
it's not like you get into an accident every single time you drive a car. There's still risk. But there is a risk every single time you get into a car. Yeah. There is a chance. You can't ever that's say that you're 100% sure I'm not going to have yeah. an accident tomorrow. Yeah, but, that, but that's why you have insurance. And Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you don't, well, but what's our, yeah, and that's it. That's why you have insurance. That's why we have seatbelts. You know, that's yeah. why we have speed. Li- like oh, insurance isn't just like car insurance. Insurance is like airbags, side oh, treasure yes, bars. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, like there's, there's manufactured insurance that goes into, but that's exactly. again, like why? While the, the consequences are quite high in a car accident, you could possibly t- you die. Could die. Yeah, absolutely. People do all the time. Right. So it's risk mitigation and risk management when it comes to something that's a, an oil spill. Well, and when well it's 11 people died on the BP horizon. Exactly. And this is the thing. When they're telling us... And that's just people. That's not marine life. Oh, it was billions of animals. Right. Billions. Like fish, all kinds. Yeah. And it's still, it's a dead zone now. The Gulf of Mexico is... And billions is just to put into, just to, again, quantify shit. What was it? A billion animals died in the recent natural disasters yep. in Australia with the bushfires? A billion. Mm. And we're talking billions in the Gulf of Mexico. And then Do, there's the side effects as well from... Oh, years you know, later. Years, years, years generations later. of any species. Right. So then going so back... So going back... Yeah, so yep. going back, sorry. So we digress. That was last year <clears throat> in... It was right around this time. It might have been, it's almost to the day a year, I'd say. It was around the end of February, Twenty might have been 21st or 23rd of February last Happy year. Happy anniversary. They've, yeah. Oh, <laughs> mate, this is what we can't, I can't believe this, hey. It's been the wildest 12 months of my life. Yeah, what and, a relationship. Or, and 18 months probably, but. Fuck. It, yeah, so they, they put it out to mm. public, for public consultation. Yeah. That was when we took it on and went, this is our opportunity right now. To break it down, show everyone what this is, what, what's actually going to happen, what the risks are, showing their own forecast modelling, yeah. what they're expect. You know, there's all these things. So we decided we're like, right, we need to do something. Let's do a paddle out in Torquay. We're gonna, you know, let's protest. Get, let's get a protest. You know, a paddle out, which for anyone who doesn't know that is usually held for uh, funerals in surfing communities uh, for highly regarded kind of surfers or you community, know, community members. members. And it's usually for, for funerals and celebrations like that. And we just thought, well, this is, gonna, this is our chance to kind of do something a little bit different in terms of a protest. And it's our way of doing it because we are surfers. We're a surfing yeah. community and this is the way we do it, you know. And, and it, you know, you could almost go with the, the symbolic thing of kind of mourning our oceans if they do, you know, if, if they do go. And that's what we would, you know. So we decided on March 3rd last year that we'd have a, have a paddle out on that day. And luckily I've got an incredible team in Torquay. Like, I don't know how I've amassed this team, but I'd be fucked without them. I wouldn't have lasted a week without them, you know. And they, uh, yeah, they just work tirelessly and... I, I tend to come up with crazy ideas and then I just go, yo, here's all this. And they're like, they just look at me and go, all right, yep. And then they just make it work and then things just fucking go. It's incredible. And over the space of a week, we only had a week to organise this thing and we were kind of going like, you know, putting it out there. Social media was key. I've got a guy, Jeremy, um, that's under the under the um, handle for Instagram, Jezelenko Creative. Yeah. And he just went nuts. He just like he was like right, give me a give me a, your handle, let's go. And he just flooded, he flooded the it. whole area sure. with just all these posts of just you've got to be at this at this protest. You have to be. Do you care about the ocean? You've got to be. You know. And we were kind of looking at it, going like, ah, <clears throat> oh, we, we we'll be happy with a few hundred people. You know, we'll be happy with three, four, five hundred people maybe if we're lucky, um, and it'll be really good and. 
And funnily enough, actually, on the Thursday afternoon, I get a call from the, the local um, kind of governing body for that beach, for that, yeah. for that esplanade. And he calls me and he's like, hey, mate, do you want to tell me about what's going on Saturday? And I'd kind of like just thought, I was like, oh, it's just a paddle You'll out. just I wing need, it. <laughs> I don't need permits, mate. Like, it's just a, you know, it's just a few surfers paddling sure. out. And he kind of goes to me, he's like, do you want to let me know what's going on? I was like, oh, yeah, shit. Um, yeah, like, listen, sorry, mate. I've just kind of forgotten. I just didn't think I need, I don't know. And he goes like, have you checked the Facebook event that you've done? Like, there's over a thousand people going. And I was like, oh, oh, shit, really? I'm like, okay. So I ended up, and he's like, I really want this to work. He's a great guy. Sure, um, yeah. And he just went, I want this to work, so get me in all the paperwork and I'll get it through. And anyway, that's a side note. So I got it through Friday afternoon, stressing, because if not, it, I don't know, shit, it's a fan with that. Um, and then come Saturday, standing there, setting up with all the volunteers, and I remember I had two of my real key team members there, and just as the, the kind of, it was a, it's almost like a movie. As the clock struck 12... This horde <laughs> of zombies, thousands of zo- I don't know, like, it, no, they were all in black, though, so it was like ants. It was like all these ants just came oh, over the, the, the hill. It was, and we just like looked at each other and we were like, and everyone's carrying boards and signs, and, and oh we looked at each God. other and we're like, what the fuck have we just done? Like, this is in- like, whoa. And then ended up being, I don't know, it's hard to always quantify these things, but crew were kind of calling it a a good two to two and a half thousand people Shit there. Shitload of people. You know, and it really, and it just. It's a lot of neoprene. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, which we'll talk about later. The neoprene, it's, we, we've copped a bit of shit from that, but. Um, oh, I didn't mean, I was. No, oh, no, no, fuck. but it is a lot of neoprene. Foot, but, mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But hey, it's a very valid, uh, very valid theme. But so, yeah, so we did our, our first paddle out and there's, there's so many stories. I mean, I could talk to you for, for days about what happened in the last 12 months. You know, the fact we had an oil rig the, the morning of, or the night before, actually, the Friday night. Darren, who works at the, uh, who works with Surfrider Foundation, he's the secretary for the Surf Coast branch yeah. down here. And he's been by my side since the very beginning. He's yeah, one of the yeah, yeah. key team members here. He's been incredible. Friday night, he goes, what if we stay with me here? What if we build a big, giant, makeshift oil rig? And then we put it on a giant stand-up paddleboard and that's what everyone sits around in the paddle out. And I was like, fucking genius, genius. All right. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it. It's Friday night. Have you ever made a makeshift oil rig? No. You know, like, well, this is a ragtag yeah, bunch of yeah, surfers yeah. from Torquay. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And then, uh, so the next morning, he's messi- gr- sent a group message with like all the timber at his house and he's like, bring your drills. We need to go. And I was like... Oh shit, all right. So all of us have just rocked up at his house and everyone's cutting and screwing and painting and we're just getting this rig and then like we're trying to dry it and then we're shoving it into my van and then we've gotten down there and you put the rig in your van. Made it up. Yeah, well mm-hmm. uh, not quite made, okay. but we'd, so we'd put a few we'd put a few pieces together to try and make it easier. And then we um we got it down there, put the rest of it, you know, we turned it into a Meccano set essentially. <laughs> And then we, I've called up my mate who's got this giant stand-up paddleboard. I'm like, get it down here now. We need to do it. Like, it was just mayhem. Probably from the outside, I think it sounded like everyone was like, geez, you guys are running a tight ship here. We're like, no, 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 it's not a tight ship. <laughs> it was, you know, the, the kind it's, of smoke and mirrors. It's more of a giant floating stand-up paddleboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need really good balance yeah, to stay yeah, on it. and like, you do, yeah. It was, Dude, I got a six-pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best ab workout ever. Yeah, so we, um, so yeah, so that was, yeah, and then like uh, we got it all done and then come the, 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 the kind of, uh, and our, our call to action here was 
because the, the public consultation was write a submission yeah. to NOPSEMA, which is the governing body. body. It's the National Offshore Petroleum Exploration. Safety, Safety Exploration, Exploration Authority. Authority, there you go. Yeah. Uh, manage, it, management Authority. Or yeah, there's an M in there. Blah, blah, blah. It's anyway. an acronym. Um, yes, so, so they're, the, they're the governing body, which are apparently meant to be independent from the government, but whatever. Not quite, who knows. Stacked with oil lobby ex-executives and all kinds of shit. But, um, yeah, so we our call to action was we need all of you here to, to come here is the first step and to, to you know, to, to attend the protest is yeah. the raising awareness. Now right. what do we do? And we asked everyone, please go and write this submission. So what's the submission form? Which is the, the four, four questions. questions that we talked about it's earlier. The four questions which, you know, I've, I'm in the environmental sector. I, I've got three quarters of a environmental science degree still going. Um, and I looked at these four questions and I was like, in my opinion, deliberately confusing. Like, so who writes those questions? Not Okay. So the governing body who, you know, with the government that we've got, it's all a bit... And for anyone who doesn't know the government in Australia, for your Americans or whatever, we've got a Trump-esque kind of... Uh, government, you know. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second. Which is, yeah, with. another part. But, so that was our call to arms. And then, again, my team put together a Facebook page that was Nopsema Submissions. And we had a guy who's uh, an environmental consultant. Yep. And he broke down the whole thing and broke down the whole environmental plan and actually stated what it meant. And okay. He, and, he, and he put that forward and put, made that public and we shared that around the whole country to allow people to make sense of these questions and the environmental plan. Because it was a little bit confronting and a little bit like... Huge. You, I remember looking at the questions myself when I went to fill out the form and I was like, what the fuck? And that's what I'm saying. I was looking at it going like, what do they mean here? Like, yeah. Are they... Uh, and then they, the document, I remember the environmental document that they released was, was like a Bryce Courtney book. It was like six, It was quite a big... Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was, yeah. So, um, so we got 31,500 of those submissions. Yeah. And that is, I think, one of the one of the more like kind of under the radar achievements that, that that this campaign actually kind of had is to get thirty one and a half thousand people to submit something. It wasn't just an, as I say, an electronic signature. We're talking people sitting down for half yeah. an hour, an hour, really trying to make sense of these questions. And I think that was huge. And that that in itself is showing the disapproval and, and kind of the, the resistance from our community. Well, and the love for the environment. And the love for the environment. And just our disapproval for the whole project. And just yeah. saying it's not... And also, just to go back a little bit... Sure. Equinor also, when they first came to Australia, they stated that if they were not wanted in Australia, they would not push through. Right. They wouldn't push on. Because so, a social licence to them was integral. It was an integral part of this, this project. Okay. So if they had any community resistance, they wouldn't proceed with the project. And that's what we went with. Went, all right, you want to see community resistance? How's this? So we've done that. And that actually went on for an extra few weeks. But at the time, we, we did that, 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 that first... Um, yeah, we did that first paddle out. And then the next day, I had a guy call me from Melbourne. And he's like, man, we just attended the, the, the paddle out, you know, down in Torquay. Like, we loved everything you did. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Like, epic. And he's like... 
we want to do one in Melbourne. We want to do a paddle out and we want to do a protest. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'll help you out. Like, you know, get my team together. We'll, we'll write you a bit of a blueprint of what to do, how to do things. and How to build a joint. All how, to, how to, <laughs> yeah. Well, this was actually funny. And he's like, do you reckon you could come and speak at it? You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, all right. I'm in the middle of a federal election, but all right, cool. Like, I can probably, and I was like, oh, I'll bring up my oil rig. And they're like, oh, yeah, can you? And I was like, okay, cool. So... <laughs> We started working with them, and then in order to get insurance... You should have sailed the oil rig over the boat. Oh, mate. <laughs> That's what you should have done. Oh, mate, that would have been a good scene, actually. That would have been good to do, to paddle it through the heads. <laughs> Philip, poor Philip heads. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, we, so we... And then uh, and then I heard about... I had another friend that's like, oh, my friend's now organising one in, in Queensland, on the Gold Coast in Burley. And I was like, oh, man, give me his number. I want to have a chat to him. And I called him. And I, this is almost word for word. Um, <laughs> there was a guy, Jamie, who uh, works in the shop at Patagonia yeah. up there. <clears throat> I think he's the manager. Um, and he, I called him up. I'm like, hey, man, it's, you know, it's, it's Damien Cole from Down Torquay. Like, and he's like, oh, man, I just saw your paddle outs and what you guys did. Like, epic. And, rah, rah. and I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm calling. Like, heard you, you guys are doing one as well, eh? Like, really appreciate it. And then he's like, <laughs> I said, oh, how's it all looking? And he goes, oh, man, well, we, we thought it was going to be big, but now we think it's going to be really big. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I shit, you know, he said it almost like that in the exact tone of like that real kind of low key, like, yeah, yeah we think. And he's like, I'm getting everyone who wants to jump on board and they've seen what you guys have done. Rah, rah. And he's like, I don't know, I'm getting over. And I was, that's why I just went, hey, mate, this is why I've jumped in with you. I'll, I'll walk you through it. This is what you need to do. I was like, pull in a close four or five people that are really going to be your core team. Yeah. And then from there you delegate out, you know, so you can different, you, yeah, you sure. can, you need, you got to have, you got to start with a really good foundation of a small tight knit crew. Sure. Then you delegate out to the, the, the other volunteers because, and, and any other groups that want to jump in and whatever, great. We'll, we'll need your help at some point, but for now, let us get it. Let, let us organize the day sure. and then we'll, we'll tell you exactly what yeah. to do. Then he goes, oh, I would love for you to speak up here. Like, you know, do you reckon you can make it up? And, rah, rah. and I was like, oh, shit, I'll listen. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll have a, you know, I'll, you know I'll, I might be able to make it up or whatever. And then I hung up the phone and then I just thought, and I was like, hang on. We've done Torquay. We've got Melbourne coming up. We've got the Gold Coast. And I'm like, we need to do, we, this is, it's, it's clearly, it could go national. And I was like, we have to make it go national. And I was like, where's Sydney in this? Where's Adelaide? Where's Perth? Where's Hobart? I'm like, these are all capital cities of every state and I was like we need to we need to get make this a national series and I started calling people from all over the country and I just you know explained exactly what we're doing and I, you know we want to have a paddle out in your city and, and people were like yeah we're on all right cool and then I got my team in and I said listen guys I've kind of come up with this idea and I've started the ball rolling and this is during so I've ran in a state election in 2018 2019 I backed it up with our federal election as an independent candidate so I've just got assembled our team to start the federal election and then I've dropped in this and said like, oh, by the way, we're also organising paddle outs in se you know, seven, other, seven other cities and they were just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, no, nah, there's no way you're doing this. You can't expect us to you know, run the federal election and run this whole series and rah, rah, rah. And I was like, listen, guys, we have to do this. Like, this is for the bite. This has to gain national attention. This is the only way that we're going to stop this thing. We need to get our country behind us. And then obviously I was like, and it's, hey, if we want to raise, if we want to raise a profile for this election, this is how we're going to do it. This is our point of difference around compared to the rest of the country. We have something down here which we've seen in the first weekend. 
you know, the first, the first paddle out that we did, people are really latching onto this. This is an emotional campaign because it's such a pristine area and it's a final straw. It's one of those moments of just, we've allowed fossil fuel companies for so long to just push and take a little bit more and our government to take a little bit more and, you know, open up that mine here and then deforest this bit and take the water from this river for these people. And this, I feel like, was just a turning point where our coastal communities went, nah, this is a, this is a line in the sand moment. We're, we're stopping here. No, we're saying no. We're fucking done with this. Yeah. That was, I, we, we saw that. And then after a little bit of coaxing, my team went, okay, cool, we're on. Yep. And I just said to them, I was like, I'll make sure I will not miss an event in Torquay. I'll be at every single interview. I'll be at every single candidate forum. I'll, be, I'll make sure that we make everything work. But, and we did with some hilarious runs to airports and backs and cars and pickups and Oh, just it was it was a crazy few weeks that we went on. Like, <laughs> it was it's all right, breathe, mate. Like right. yeah, I feel like it's I'm okay. going through it. Like okay, Monday okay. to Friday, we were organising the paddle outs in a different city and attending all these forums. Yeah, and then usually I'd jump on on a Friday night or Saturday morning, and I'd fly to another city. Yeah, speak, speak, you know, do the paddle out, and then I'd come home. Yeah, I'd usually fall in a heap for about eighteen hours where I'd just have to come home and just shut myself off and I'd just, I'd, I'd, I'd come home, shut myself into my room and just, I wouldn't want to talk to anyone for at least the art Sunday afternoon into Monday morning, yeah. you know, like I had to stop and then I'd be back on Monday and then off I'd go again. You so know? The, the, the whole fight for the bite thing just completely took off, went nationwide. There was massive community support, 31,500 submissions, not yep. petition signatures, but submissions submitted to Nopsema yep. to say, no, we don't want it. Yep. Community says, no. no. Nopsema goes ahead, votes a couple of times. It was, Knocks it back a couple of times. Yep. And they put forward which another I th- submission. Which I personally think is a, a bit of a kind of a PR stunt of. You know, they knocked the, they knocked back the environmental plan once and sure. said, "Not good enough. You need to do this, this, and this. Yeah, you need to sure. fix this up. How you, you know?" Then they come back again. Yeah, you know, sure. and it's like they check it out again. They knock it back again. Yeah, and go no, 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 not quite up to scratch. Okay. And then we got to the end of last year, um, and it still was in real limbo. Uh, it'd been knocked back, and then they were resubmitting. I think it was, oh, I can't actually remember the exact date. It was just after, it would have been the 25th of, 25th, 26th, it was the last week of November anyway. Yeah. They were resubmitting again and then they had, then Nopsim had 30 days to make, uh, a, to make a decision. So we, we decided uh, Surfrider Foundation uh, in Australia, who I was working with throughout the whole time, and this was yep. a Surfrider Foundation series that we did earlier in the year. Um, and then come October... We decided, okay, and again, I can tell you, Sean called me up actually and said like, Patagonia is going to help out. We want to hire you on behalf of Surfrider Foundation, you know, because we, 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 they were working with Surfrider Foundation. They said, we want to hire you to organise a national day of action um, for, uh, of protests around, uh, around, around the whole country. And straight away I was like, yep, all right. I'll get 50 events going and we'll get them all over the country and this is going to, you know, and then the whole alliance, I, I think people probably look at me sometimes and go like, ah, oh, this guy's just, he just talks too much shit. Like 50, 50 really? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like how are you going to get 50? And I was like, once I, the other thing is, which it's probably uh, 
I, I, I probably cop a bit from it personally, but once I get my teeth on, into something, I don't give up and I will go hard and I will go and go and go. And I was like, no, nah, 50 events it is. In my head, once I get that, I'm pretty stubborn like that. It kind of probably backfires on me sometimes. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but for this one, I was like, I'm going for 50 and crew were like, oh, I'll try for 20 or 30 for, you know, 20 or 25 first. And I was like, nah, we're going 50. So do you, had you thought about the geography of those 50 locations? I or did you feel like fifty was just a goal for you to reach? It was, a, it was just a goal at the point, right? At, 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 we'll at that stage, that makes yeah, sure. But I also knew, I knew that there were enough locations. I knew that yeah. there was enough beaches and enough communities that Place. were in that vicinity. Definitely enough beaches. You know, like yeah, well, we've got thousands of beaches, but you know, the, but communities. I just thought I was like, no, nah, we can definitely make this happen. Um, and then so off we go, and I. My first point of call, I just went, all right, I sat down and I went, I'm going to go for every single board rider club in Australia. Sure. So that's surfing surfing clubs, not not surf lifesaving, but actual surfing board riders. Board riders. Yep. Um, and I went, all right, I'm going to get the number and the contact of every single, you know, the contact name and number of, of every single board riders club in Australia, yep. which just for fun fact, 216 of them. There around. you go. And that includes that can go body borders. Page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> body borders, stand-ups, bloody, I don't know, kayaks, all, longboarding, whatever, you, all yeah. kinds of, of board riders. Yeah. Um, so I got that through Surfing Australia and then I made a spreadsheet and then off I went and I just started cold calling people and just explaining who I was, what we were doing and just that we needed their community's support. Yeah. Um, and once I started doing that, I realised what I'd actually got myself into <laughs> as well. And this is where, you know, I, I, I get pig-headed, but I was, always like, I was also like, fuck, I'm going for 50. How am I going to do this? Shit. And then one, uh, I had one team member of mine that ha- had a bit of time off at that time. She was – her name's Alex Marshall. She's amazing. Hello, Alex. Hello, Alex. She you, is going to be uh, – she, she already is. She's a – She's a lead, <laughs> she's a leader within our community. I'm calling it. She's yeah. the next prime minister. <clears throat> yeah, if we can get a, a decent party that's not blue or red, um, <laughs> that that she will lead our country. She will lead whatever she does. She will have success in. She is incredible and, and um, only 20 years old as yeah, well. She's you know, and just so we uh, yeah, I I called on her and she has been by my side as well for a very long time yeah. and, and she um i just and she actually she almost got offended she was like well, when were you going to call me like i i'm in on this she was like i'm sitting down and i was like you sure though i can't pay you you know i, I know i'm getting i'm getting paid to do this job but you know like sure. it's volunteer and she was just like i don't give a shit like let's get into it so she was sitting down with me and she's great with the administration organization yeah. which is not my cup of tea. I'm I'm the talker. I get people revved up. I get people, you know, like I can do the phone calls, but when it comes to <laughs> figuring out spreadsheets, should have seen how long it took me to it's just okay, to get, bro. You, yeah. don't have to, you don't have to be good at everything. No, man. I'm not by <laughs> any okay. stretch of the imagination. No, no one's good. Then at we get a, a a French kid um, who I got you know put in touch with sure. who was just like, hey, I really want to come in and help as well. I'm flying into the country to be with my girlfriend in Melbourne yeah. very soon, like next week or whatever it was. I was like, yeah, man, come down to Torquay. And he's like, you know, I said, I don't know exactly what you've got, like, I'm, you know, what, 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 how are you going to help? But there will be something here for yeah. you. I promise you. So, so he gets down, he gets down, um, he gets down here the first day and 
straight away I watched him for a little. I said, oh, well, this is our spreadsheet and this is what we're doing. Da, 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 da. And within half an hour, I, I look across and he's already just the spreadsheet's 10 times better. He's already, I was like, oh, can you do it? He's like, I've already done it. Yeah, I've already done that. And he's only 20 years old as well. It's amazing what happens when you put a border around something in a spreadsheet. Oh, <laughs> mate, even that, I was like, what is that black line? He's like, that's, that's a border, mate. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's like, my whoa. level of skill with spreadsheets. And then I was like, what's that little arrow? And he's like, that's a, that's a tab, you know, a, a drop-down tab or whatever. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's for me. I was like, this Excel stuff is really going to take off, eh? <laughs> you should patent this. Yeah, yeah. You should really patent this. This yeah. is an incredible thing. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah so, and then funnily enough, at lunchtime, um, <laughs> lunchtime, we're sitting, sitting out on my deck and I've made a bit of food for, for us. And uh, these, They're both called Alex. Uh, uh, yeah. So I've got Alex who's been by my side since, for a very long time and French Alex. And he's sitting there and then after a bit, he kind of like looks at us and he's like, so where's the rest of the team? Like, where's the rest of, you know, the fight for the bite thing? And I was like, oh, well, like, this, this is it for the National Day of Action. Like, this is all, like, this was just my thing with, you know, I've been hired, but, you know, and he's like, oh, oh, and I said, oh, there's other people, like, in South Australia and, you know, Wilderness Society and all that, but they're doing other stuff. And this National Day of Action, I'm like, it's just us. And he goes, oh, man, I, to be honest, like, when I was coming down here, I was expecting, like, a big high rise with like a hundred employees and like, Whoa. you know, the fight for the bite thing. It just seems so yeah. huge and whatever. And I was like, oh, no, nah, man, it's kind of been just like a ragtag bunch of crew, like, you know, like a bunch of surfers and, you know, some charities that I think we, yeah. Anyway, so it was, it was pretty funny. And then from there, we just worked, I don't even know, 80, 90, 100 hour weeks again, just going, going, going. Getting up to this 30 day deadline, just working hard for it. Working and then we ended up getting 57 events around the country. Hold on. Um, And we had them from all the way into northern Queensland, people that weren't even in the the, the firing line of this potential oil spill. Uh, Northern Queensland, all the way around the coast, all the way back up the west coast. Darwin. Darwin. We ended up having Darwin. We, you know, like... Yeah, and it was this incredible day where we and we were worried down in Torquay whether we'd get the same numbers because this was our I think it was our fourth fourth paddle out here. We'd done one at Easter as well, and when we rocked up that day, it was the biggest one yet. Yeah, it was was amazing. The energy we had here was is just incredible, you know. And it it really the incredible thing as well, and and it's really hard to describe, but it was not a protest that you would expect that most people probably have in mind. It was a celebration of communities and their love for the ocean and our connection to the ocean. And it was really something that anyone... There were people that had paddled out. They were anywhere from 80 years old down to six months old. There were people taking their kind of relatively newborn babies, paddling <laughs> them out on boards. Probably not the safest thing in the world, but you know what? Like, oh, no, it's, it's a story. Yeah. Then there were people that had never... There were professional surfers paddling out and then there were people that had never never sat on a board before. And yeah, it was amazing. It was a good show it, of force. Yeah, and, and but it was also the, the, the kind of the vibe and sure. the atmosphere there. And I, I've done... Personally, I've, I think I've done 12 of them now, the paddle okay. outs and been at them. And every time... I just get this rush of emotion and goosebumps and you see the way people react to this paddle out yeah. and it is an energising force from, 
it's this sense of community and this sense of we're here for 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 a kind of a no, I don't want to say a higher purpose in a, in a religious sense or anything or a spiritual, but just a community sense. In a community sense and an environmental, that you know what this big blue planet of ours, it's it's bigger than any of us. It's bigger than any of the project. It's it's we need this thing as a, it's our it's our lifeline. You know. So all of this community support, all this backing, all these letters, all this supposed political support. So and November twenty third, National Day of Action. Yeah, all of this, all of this stuff that happens, and all this organising that happened, yep. and all these people that went into the water. And then Equinor resubmit their environmental plan. I think it was on the twenty seventh. Now that I remember, it, of sure. November, which led to the thirty days being between Christmas and New Year mm-hmm. for Nopsema to make a decision. Which all of us, we, we there was a big kind of outcry for that, and they then turned around and said, "We won't make a decision between." The 21st of December to the 5th of January. We'll allow the, the holiday time. How generous. And we were like, oh, that's, you know, well, it, for them, it kind of is. <laughs> you know? Sure. But yeah. then what did they do? They dropped it on the 21st of December before Christmas. And what did they drop? And they dropped the announcement that they approved the environmental plan. Right. Bit of a kick in the nuts or guts. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. And it really, it, it, it deflated a lot of people. And this was also in the middle of the bushfires. Yep. Um, That's because the bushfire season had started early in Australia. Yeah. I, 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 I remember speaking with... Uh, I remember speaking and it, it gets me pretty teared up just thinking about it. Um, an incredible leader in our community, Monica from Treading Lightly. Um, she started up a charity. You should get in contact with her and have a chat with her. She's incredible. From the south coast of Australia. Um, around to. around the kind of Ulladulla area, yeah, um, Mollymook, yep, for sure. And she started up a charity called Treading Lightly. She was I, I, every time I spoke to her, it was just this: she's working tirelessly for her community. And this is what I what I was I had the honour of working with throughout this whole campaign was yep. just these amazing people that just cared about their environment and their community. And I remember calling her the day after the announcement and she was so flat and they had fires, fires on the outskirts of her town. They just got the announcement from Equinor and they had an announcement from the New South Wales government that they were stripping away the marine reserves in her area as well. So she was, she was, for her, she was, and that's, you know, and it puts it into perspective and it, it does, it gets me just, she was trying everything she could and her community was trying everything and they were watching on one end, they're watching their, their, their backyard burn and then they're watching their government just, just ticking and approving all the destruction of, their, of their, their marine environment, of their oceans and fueling, fueling the flames, literally fueling the flames of these fires by... By kind of by yeah by by kind of giving the green light to these projects. Can I read something to you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So this is after um, Equinor has pulled out of the bite, and there was an ABC correspondent that did a report, uh, and the Nopsema, not the Nopsema. God, I'm so sorry, guys. I keep getting uh, acronyms. Equinor <clears throat> chief, the Australian chief of Equinor, um, Joan, John, Joan. Stangle Land. Yeah. Hello, mate. 
said this to the ABC correspondent. <clears throat> we met with federal and state politicians yesterday and they were disappointed and we can understand that they are disappointed. At the same time, they also recognise this is a commercial decision. Yeah. So, so Equinor pulling out, the politicians were disappointed. Of course they were. So why are Australian politicians turning their backs on communities? <sighs> it's... After I mean, all of this outcry, after all of these people that are, that are saying what's important to them and where they want their country and their community to be, to be heading, after all of the natural disasters that keep happening around the country, the floods, the fires, the possibility of disaster through oil and gas and natural resources, why are politicians still turning their backs and signing deals? Uh, I mean, I... <laughs> doesn't happen to me often, Kira, but I'm at a loss for words. I, it, it's, a really, um, it's a really tough one because it, it, it kind of... I mean, the reality is, is because they're in the pockets of these multinational companies. Is it? Yeah, they are. They, they're all... I mean, you look at the... Um, I forget his first name, but it was... Uh, no, actually, I forget. The guy who opened up the leases sure. for the Great Australian Bite quit something like the following week and then ended up going and being an, uh, an oil lobby, uh, working for the, for the oil companies. Sure. You know, within, the, within a year. Like, you've got people from Nopsema, when you look at the, the board members for Nopsema, yeah. seven out of eight of them have got a, a record, uh, uh, their CV is working for fossil fuel companies for the last 30 years. And, and in executive kind of, you know, high, high position roles. So you look at that and you go, all right, then those people and then they're friends with the ministers and for all of those, all of those members of parliament. I mean, there's a lot of pockets being scratched. There, is, it's so, there are so many pockets being scratched. There's so many friends and family members of, you know, like it, it happened. And it, unfortunately, it happens all over the world. And that's the thing. When you look at the, what, the state of our, our, our planet as a whole, capitalism... And I, 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 don't, I don't see capitalism as an inherent kind of evil. It's capitalism unchecked. Because if you imagine, like, at the very beginning when capitalism really kind of took off, it was, you know, hey, you have the freedom to kind of to build your business and become big and, and you know, and that was fine for, for, one per, for one person to build their business and, and kind of grow. And that was, however long you want to call it, a couple hundred years ago in the Industrial Revolution... Things weren't as big as this. It wasn't a, a global kind of. So that's problem. the kind of thing that you mean, where you don't have to come from money; you can make it for yourself. Well, that's, that's and that's what that's it was, and that's sure. like that's how America America's been so great is because it yeah. was you know the land of the free, and it was you know land you can go and land of opportunity and all of that stuff, and that's and it's great. It's a it, it's great if you have that, and it's probably started off. Uh, I, I would hot like to say innocently enough where it was just allowing people to, to make money and to, to be successful, and that's great. But then it's morphed into this, like, multi... Kind of, it's, it's morphed into this, like, global kind of... You know, these, these companies have billions of dollars and they have grown side by side with these governments and they've helped each other throughout the way. And probably, again, at the very beginning, it probably wasn't... It, it didn't do too much harm. Because it, we had 
less numbers. It was, you know, smaller bu- businesses, smaller companies, the whole lot. Yeah. It's gotten to a point now they're so deeply entrenched and our systems are so deeply entrenched that it's hard to get out of. And these, and these governments and these po- uh, politicians and the political parties are at the beck and call of all of these, uh, all these kind of, well, they, also these kind of, um, yeah, these companies that are funding their political parties. So what, well. so, okay, so with all of this crap going on, what's the point in voting then? Like what is, it, what is, what is someone supposed to do? How are you supposed to evoke change? Or how are you supposed to do something? How are you supposed to trust a politician's meaningful? Well, you've got to do, you, you've got to do your research to start with. Um, in your own local area, and it starts at local government. Um, whoever you're going to vote for, look into them and look at what their policies are, look at their, their track record, look at their background. The other one is this is not – luckily in Australia, we're fortunate enough to not have a, a two-party two race. Preferred thing, yeah, sure. We actually do have – even though – They've tried, both parties have tried for a very long time to push the notion that, you know, a vote for the Greens is a wasted vote or a vote for the Animal Justice Party is a wasted vote, a vote for, you know, whoever it might be, whoever yeah, you want to vote. they're constantly trying to discredit the, it, sure. it, 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 the, yeah. the smaller parties. But the thing is, we have so many parties around the country who are there and every, every vote does make that change. And the great thing about our voting system is we we can have it so that you can vote for like I was an independent. You could vote for me first. If I don't get in, you actually get a second vote because you've put one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, or sure. whatever, however yeah, many you can. Yeah. So you actually get to have a, a preference system where your first vote doesn't get in. That's okay because we'll give you the second one. Ah, oh, the Greens didn't get in. Ah, oh, that's all right. We'll give you the third one. Who? So Take your pick. Voting so you have this priority vote, and sure. it gets to a point until that person gets elected. So it's like, oh, awesome! You ended up picking Labor. Or okay, well, the, you know, and that's where I'd look at it. And go, it's not. That's not my preferred. Labor for me are the lesser of two evils. Um, they're, you know, they kind of trying in saying that they've been a bit spineless in the way that they have, um, kind of. In the way that they've outlaid their policies and, and their, their policies themselves are very much sitting on the fence. They, they want to talk to money, but then they also want to talk to the working class. Sure. And they want to talk to also the environmentalists. But by doing that, they've spread themselves out and everyone's looking at me going, well, you don't actually have a backbone. But, yeah. So, I guess going back a little bit with talking to the people in power, the politicians, and with all the community outcry and protests that are going on. There's a number of different things going on around the country, specifically in Australia. I mean, it's happening all over the world. It's happening in New Zealand at the moment as well and the US and uh, Britain. Is the conversation that the community is having towards the politicians not working and does that need to change? Because at the moment it's protests. So what happened here in... So let's talk about the Great Australian Bite. This protest happened. The conversation between the community and the politicians was like, we don't want this. We said, we don't want this to the, the, the company coming and wanting to drill. Yep. We said, no, we don't want this to the politicians. The governing body, NOPSEMA, that was put in charge of it, said, nope, go ahead, it's okay, you can drill. The politicians said, yes, go ahead, you can drill. What needs to change? Because there's a breakdown in communication somewhere where the overwhelming majority of, of people, 31,500 people, t- mm. not signatures, but submissions yep. is a lot. 
What what needs to change? Something needs to change. It's it's it, well, and it goes back to what I was saying with the you know, and I, I probably rambled off a bit, but it, for me, it, it makes sense that when there is a system that's been put in place for a, a century or two, that system is going to be really hard to break down. Yeah. So it's not going to break. It's not going to happen within one election. But the, tur- the the tide is turning right now, and that's the thing is that we have to be, we have to be relentless. We have to keep going and we have to keep pushing. So I do think that it's working because going back to okay. what I did, so and one thing that we haven't really talked about much is the fact that I did run in the federal election as an independent. Yeah. And the fight for the bite thing took front, you know, it was front and centre. That took, that, that took the limelight for the whole election for us down here. And the, the conversations that I was having with both parties... Yeah. Um, particularly with Labor, they were just kind of going like, in order to get, again, my preferences, and this is an interesting, they can't, you can't swap preferences for, for policies, right? Well, but, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I, it, you, techni- you can't say, um, listen, if you put me, you know, if you preference me above another party, I will promise you uh, X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. Okay. Um, but what you can also say is I, I can look at them and go, well, these are my policies. I want the bite stopped. I want World Heritage Protection, right, of the, of the Great Australian Bite. If you guys come to the party with that, I might look, of, uh, I might look at you with my preferences I, on, on my uh, how to vote card, I might look at you favourably. So it's this weird, this is all just, this is probably very technical stuff no, of it's, like, it's, well, it, it's, so you can have the conversation and be like, well, this is what I prefer, but you're not technically allowed to say, I will give you my preference if you give me do this. this. But, yeah, but you, you can also do the, you know, I, there's, a, there's a lot of talk that goes so on in politics. It's the wink, 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 nod, nudge, nudge. Yeah, 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 you know. yeah. Schoolyard sort of shit, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it really is. And, and it got really heated there for a while where it was funny because there was all this money getting thrown around our, our electorate because it was the most marginal seat in Australia, or the most marginal, uh, most marginal held liberal seat in in the country, and there was money getting thrown around everywhere. And all I said was, I was like, I want, I want the bite to be stopped. I want world heritage status down there, and I want federal protection uh, for the great uh, for the Otways and the Great Ocean Road. Sure, yeah. That was for me. It's it, I, I don't give a shit about money. It's not about giving more facilities and whatever. It's about ensuring the conservation of this area for future generations. And I kept going on and on and on about that. It came out... Oh, <laughs> the first... I'm just keep, keep remembering things. The first paddle out we did, the Liberal candidate down here, who was the sitting member at the time, when we did the first paddle out, she was uh, giving money to one of the surf clubs around here and she was you know, overheard saying, oh, who, who really cares about the bite? There's already all these oil fields everywhere. Um, you know, don't they know that this is a, an everyday occurrence or something? She just didn't give a shit about it. Yeah. Come the second paddle out, when we'd done the national thing, she could see that her, her seat was slipping away from her. She rocked up to the second paddle out in a blue rash vest because that's her colour and then wanted to speak at it and she's tried to jump on board. So she's seen the pressure from, her, from, her, from the community. So, the, the, so it did is work. Is that okay, though? Is that okay that someone folds under pressure and changes? No, absolutely not. And why do you think she's not in power anymore? Because she <laughs> everyone saw through it. Yeah. You know? 
Well, she is in power. She's actually, funnily enough, she, she lost her seat and she's back with him and, and she's a senator now. So it's a, again. But the thing is we did get, we, yeah. But in, then a month after the election, it came out in one of the newspapers anyway, that the Labor Party were days away from announcing a policy that they would start the process of a World Heritage listing for the Great Australian Bite. That came out a month after the election. They lost the election. Is that just virtue signalling, though? No, 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 because it was it was something that came out of, like... Because, um, oh, I've just forgotten his name. Bill Shorten, sure. who was the leader of the Labor Party, he got ousted straight after the election. Um, but it all came out... It, it did, it came out that they were... And that's, I think, what... For three weeks before the election, when we were talking with, uh, with Labor and Liberal... Yeah. We kept pushing that and they would just go silent for two or three days and we wouldn't hear from them. Then they'd call us back and they'd go, we can't do this, blah, blah, And it was like this full negotiation going on and I just stood strong. I was like, no, nah, mate, like until you guys give us what we want, we're, we're, I'm, not, I'm not budging, you know. And interestingly enough, yeah, when that came out, it actually showed that by throwing an independent candidate into the mix... And then getting a community following like this, big change can happen, you know. Then you look at it from the state state point of view in the state election in 2018, our, our big kind of uh, policy and beacon of hope was to stop uh, development here in Torquay that our community had been fighting against for over over 10 years. Yeah, a the decade, it's huge, right? Yeah. Spring Creek, Spring Creek development. We're already getting ravaged by overdevelopment. Yeah, it's huge. That, and that's what started all of this, realistically. When I, I, I stood up in the state election, just with community community groups saying, like, we need an independent, and I just put my hand up, not knowing really. I was like, oh, yeah, all right, I'll try this. <laughs> and then our Probably thing, not as flippant as that. But <laughs> I, no, I, I, was it? It, it kind of was. Yeah, I was like, really? oh, yeah. Like, uh, I, li- I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Like, and they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, how hard can it be? <laughs> 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 Mate, <laughs> ignorance is bliss, eh? Um <laughs> But yeah, but but straight when that happened, and they started to see the traction that we were getting, that yeah. our campaign was getting in in Torquay and and that area and our, and, our, and our community, then they came to us and they're like, "We'll, we'll stop Spring Creek for you." Because you know? you're because you started looking more attractive to them because of the well because it was getting. such a marginal seat sure. and they want this seat. They and you know like it wasn't there was a very slim chance of me getting in, but they knew I was going to get a lot of votes. So if I sided with, with so Labor... So they saw you more of a disruption than a... Oh, a bit huge disruption. I think Labor and Liberal, but they hate me equally, you know. And great. It means I've been doing my job. Is that, what you, is that, is that kind of... Once you started getting into it, did you start seeing what your, what your role was in the election? My role, my role in both elections uh, and the fight for the bite has been to be a community representative. To represent... And that's... What politicians should be. Why are they not? Again, because money, because they get caught up. It's a career. They're trying to save their seat. They're trying to save their career more than they're actually trying to look after the communities. Sounds like a pretty stressful sort of career to get into, though. It's a huge... It's so stressful. And someone actually said that to me. And they were like, oh, Damo's just trying to do it um, for the vanity of it, you know? And I was like... You know, and for the the kind of... For the the accolades, I was like, really? If you reckon... I'm going to get into politics to, to you know, yeah, I, I could get into something a hell of a lot easier than... Yeah. But no, so my, my job was, and I said it to both parties in both elections, 
You know, they were like, oh, Labor kept saying, we've got the better environmental policies or climate change policies was at the time. We've got the better climate change policies. And I said, you don't have a climate change policy. And they looked at me aghast, like, what, what do you mean? And I said, whilst you're still allowing new fossil fuel projects to open up in Australia, you do not have a worthy climate change policy. Sure. It's, 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 you, can't, you can't be burning the stick at one end and putting it down the other. No, it, does, it doesn't work. You've got, you're either in or you're out. Um, and then the other thing I kept saying to them, I was like, I'm not here to, I, I'm not here to, to kind of join one of your sides. I'm actually here to represent our community and get a better outcome for our community. And at this point, what we've done is we've stopped Spring Creek, which was meant to be a housing development of over 2,000 homes. It was a multi-billion dollar development, yeah. which would have just, our town is already ravaged by overdevelopment, but this would have been the last straw. It just would have decimated any feel, culture, uh, you know, any kind of... Small-town vibe. Small-town vibe that, that Torquay has, where we've got so much more to offer, you know, here than, than kind of this overdevelopment that, that was going on. Um, so, we've, you know, we've stopped Spring Creek. We've stopped the bite for the moment. Um, so, do you, just to play devil's advocate a little bit here, do you think that... The it's going to sound like a right prick of a thing to say, but do you Go think how much of the community support actually swayed the fight for the bite thing versus actual oil prices? Yeah, economic it, and economic. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be uh, going back to the fight for the bite thing. Equinor stating that it was economic reasons and that they had a well, was it a holistic look at their portfolio? Because the oil prices between two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty dropped twenty percent. Mm. So it went from $61, well, $81 a barrel, $61 a but barrel. But what's it done over the last 15 years? It's dropped. Up, down, up, down, yeah. up, down. Mate, they'd, they'd, they'd have a look. This is, this is what I find. Well, it peaked to in 2010 to 149 or 2008 to 149 US dollars a barrel. Right. Well, okay. Well, the, the, but the, I guess what I'm getting at is into the next 10 or 15 years. They're trying to forecast, yeah, for who, sure. Who knows? You know, but I don't. But you don't look at the last six months and go, oh, no, it's, it's dropping. We're going to drop a $200 million project. No, they... they, they it, well, it's because there's also a lot of pressure from the EU and uh, also independent uh, European governments for a lot of fossil fuels to be phased out. For example, France is phasing out diesel and they're saying no more diesel production for 2040, I think it is, which is amazing. France, like an incredible country. Um, there's a there's a lot of push for renewable energies, and so in Norway as well, it, all over the world. And but Norway being Equinor's kind of hometown, hometown, yeah. right? So I just I just I, I, I'm, not, the, I'm not trying to what I'm no, not no, trying to discredit the community I, 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 thing. I, I what I'm what trying saying. to say is like is who's to blame here? Is because if a, a, a company can come in and go. It's not the community dissupport that we got because the community said, no, we don't want you. It's because the market share wasn't good enough for us to invest our time and our money and our resources and our risks into this project. And then the government to still accept it. No, see, that's so they accepted it and then they've decided. That's so, what I mean. But it's like. But that's, that's the point. Like the other way I look at it, like, so what? Did they just finally look at their books? 
after two years of campaigning and pushing through this project, spending probably millions of dollars to get the project into Australia, they finally looked at their books and went, oh, hang on. Oh, no, no, no. It's actually not economically beneficial for us. Do you, do you think that... I, I think, think it was... I, I don't, I'm, and I'm not saying that the public pressure was 100% of the reason, but I dare say that... There, I, I, I would say that there was a mixture of things. To start with, it would be yes, it would be public pressure... For sure, from Australian communities. Then the Great Australian Bite Alliance made a conscious decision to, fill, to, to, to really make sure that the Norwegian people saw what was going on on the other side of the world. Because Equinor is 67% owned by the government and it is the, it, it's the pretty much one of, the, well, one of the main reasons why Norway is so rich. They've got a trillion dollar kind of bank, you know, like they've got a trillion dollar um, trust fund. Sure. Thanks to Equinor, formerly known as Statoil, doing all of their oil drilling in the North Sea and bringing it back to Norway. And that's why Norway is so successful and so rich. Great. Good on them. That's, but in, on the other hand, for us, we looked at that and went, so they're a household name in Norway. They're just like, everyone loves them. They're, you know, they're great. We kind of went, oh, it's true, yeah. And they, over there, when you look at all the stuff that they're doing in Norway, they're saying, oh, we're going to green and we're going renewable and blah, 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 blah. We're not going to go into the Arctic Circle and drill. And so you're saying this. that they used the economic um, downturn of it as, as a scapegoat? Oh, 100%. I don't think, and that's what I'm saying. What, you reckon that a, a $200 million uh, project is going to get decided on a six-month slump? No, no they're looking over the next 10 years, 15 years. They're looking at a, a lot of things. That, but then you also have, if we're ever, ever going to have a silver lining in the tragic summer that we've just had, yeah. in one of the worst environmental disasters to ever hit the world, let alone you know, Australia by far, in the, in the bushfires, to be caught in the middle of... The Australian politics, where we're now we're now looked at around the world as this joke, and we're we're the poster child for climate change, fueling fueling the climate crisis. Australia is a laughing stock around the world, and Equinor is smack bang in the middle of that. They're the ones that are pushing in, and then they also have their reputation to uphold. Back in Norway, the whole world finally looked at Australia and went, "Oh, how are those fires? Oh, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing for? It? Oh, shit." A what, 26% renewable energy target by whatever the hell it is, like 2025? Like, everyone looked at us and went, you guys are a joke, you know? And, and that's where the... Pre so it's a, it's a mixture of pressure between our own coastal communities. It's pressure from Norway. It's the world looking at us. It's, it's, and it's the changing of the tide. The world has changed over the last six months and it yeah. continues to change. So it is this... The tide has changed for, for fossil fuels in Australia... And I, I genuinely think that this, this kind of this victory for us, is also a turning point for for communities within Australia. It's given us hope, and it's empowered us to realise that, you know, the David and Goliath battle, the the people versus oil, people versus money, it's a winnable it's a winnable fight. Yeah. And I and we're only just getting started too. Like we we it's it's re-energised a hell of a lot of people. As long as the price of oil and gas doesn't go back up again. Oh, do you reckon it is? Because you've got insurance companies that are backing away from fossil fuel companies. Adani's, you know, they're struggling to get any financing. I don't know. Look, to be honest with you, I think it doesn't matter what fucking industry you go into, there's, there's negative drawback. If you go into... There, there's, 
there's, as you were saying earlier, there's the, the paper or plastic argument. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's uh, or the the grocery argument, it, like the soya bean versus meat argument. It doesn't matter what the fuck it is that you do. There's there's negative drawbacks on anything that's mass produced or anything that's done for a global economy or a global market. Definitely. Well, that's true too. So uh, for for me, it's it's you know, I I just it always comes back to a community thing for me, and always you know looking after yourselves and the people around you. Yeah. Oh, and that's and that's what we're doing as well, and that's where this this kind of. It's hard to fathom what we're what we're dealing with at the moment in in terms of this kind of globalized society, where everything's so accessible. Where you know we we have this thing of just we have to kind of look after the whole world and everything we're doing is affecting the whole world. But yet we only have this kind of these national governments. We only have kind of these our own communities. We're not used to it. Like have you have you ever read um, Sapiens? Oh my god, bro! I'm reading his I'm reading his book at the moment, um, Homo Deus. Oh, okay. Oh, Jenna put me onto it. So, oh, really? Before it's I checked with Jenna, she was like, "Oh, have you read this?" Like, no. And she's like, "Well, you got to read." It. So I bought this book. So did you read Sapiens Jenna first? Hutchinson. Hello, Jenna. Hey. Did you no, read I Sapiens? Read Sapiens. So read Sapiens she's... is the the history before. Yeah. Right. Okay. So and there's this <laughs> really history before. Like, no, 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 no. It's in like, sorry, before Homo Deus. <laughs> sure. So it's actually yes, <laughs> a bit of an oxymoron there. Yes. So. It's pretty much from today back to like the yeah, start yeah. of civilized, uh, start of humanity. Yeah. And there's just this one really interesting kind of comment that he makes or half a page or whatever that he goes into where he kind of says like, so culturally we've evolved so much uh, over the last 200,000 years, let alone over the last, you know, 50 years. Sure. However, yeah. But biologically speaking, we actually haven't evolved that much either. Could look up the name of the author because I'm uh, Yuval Noah Harari. That's it. Hello, um, thank you for such amazing books. Yeah. He does an amazing podcast. If anyone wants to check it out with Sam Harris as well, and the other one that he does on it, he does a TED talk that's over an hour. Like, this is how I found him actually. Oh, okay. I watched this TED talk that's called Nationalism versus Globalism. So, yeah, this is what I'm talking about at the moment. And so, but, so what he's so what he's in this book, he kind of says, like, and I'm paraphrasing, I probably yeah, butchered yeah. everything. I've read it a couple of years ago. But it, it, what stuck with me is the fact that biologically speaking, we actually haven't evolved that much. No. Right? And we and, – and, and especially if you think from a couple of thousand years ago, we lived in smaller tribes or let's go, let's go with around before the agriculture, 10,000 years ago. We lived in smaller tribes. We, we cared for those, you know, those 50 to 100 people around, around us, us and it was much smaller. We did, our world was – well, whilst our world was much bigger because we didn't kind of look outside of our boundary, yeah, but our it was our, our, our world, our, world, was our, our societies were tiny. Yeah. So we, we know how to care for those 50 to 100 people. We know how to care for those things that are immediately around us. When we're looking at the world as we speak and there's these global kind of everything, global activities happening, whether it be financial, whether it be economical, whether it be culturally, whether it be environmentally, there's these changes, social changes, environmental changes happening all over the world so quickly and we're just not prepared for it. We don't know how to deal with these things. Biologically, we're not. Bio and that's the point. Like, and it's just like for the most part, and I kind of always go like, you know, you see the ad on TV for an Oxfam ad and it'll be someone, you know, some poor African kid who is dying because he hasn't got enough food. And we, we care and I'm sure something in your gut turns and, and you, you know... You, you want to help. You yeah. want to help. And then you turn the channel and then you go, fuck, what's for dinner? What do, what do you want? Mexican, Indian, Thai, pizza, what do you want? Okay. And you can switch off so quickly. 
The reason for that is, I think, is because we're not, we're not, we don't have the capacity to care for seven and a half billion people. We're not, we don't have the capacity to realise that our, you know, that our ecosystem in within the planet, that all those weather systems, everything's working together. We're still trying to, you know, it's like when people go like, oh, you know, we go, oh, that was. You know, the climate change has sent these floods or the bushfires. Yeah, and then sure. you get people that go, oh, well, no, we have bushfires all the time. You know, and it's kind of like... But it's like that thing that's really not... What, you know, it's what you and I were chatting about last time I was here was that it was macro versus micro. Yeah. Is that we're faced with macro problems. So what I'm trying to say is we're faced with giant problems, global problems. Yep. And so people think global. So they go climate they think environmental and they go the earth what do what do we need to do to save the earth and it's too big for people to think about it's exactly. too much for someone to go i need to change the way my f- carbon footprint looks so that i can save the planet instead because it's impossible for a person for an individual to think about how their impact is going to change the planet and the, and the environment around them instead uh, I guess kind of leading on to segueing into the what's going on here with you and Jenna is think micro, think small, think community, think individual, think family, think town, think street. What can we do, me and my neighbour? Yep, and that's exactly to change it. the way that we. That's it. Oh, none of us are ever going to solve climate change. Not individually. We're not, not individually. But if we all do it. But even Greta, even Greta's not going to do it. She needs the help of all kinds. Of, is that what you just said, Greta? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just Mate. been watching an episode where she's sailing across the Atlantic. She's amazing. And she's, she's incredible. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, she's one of my heroes. Like, she's – but even her, she's not do, – she's doing – she's playing her part. She's just being, it's yeah, the same she's, with, the, again, sure. going back to the fight for the bite, Dave. Like, I've had so many message people going, this is all you, man. Thank you so much. No, 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 no. Like, yeah, I played my part. All right, I organised some events. Yep, I spoke at some events too, you know, and we posted a bunch of stuff. But I wouldn't have been able to do it without my team, you know, without Alex sitting here, without Katie Griff, you know, without Jez doing all the all the videos. I would have been shout out, guys. Fucked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> quick shout out, guys. Full shout out to my whole team. Like I and they know that, you know, like that. Yeah. And I always have to say because you know you cannot. You, you cannot succeed in anything without, without the, that kind of, that team behind you, without that community behind you. And that's the point is, if there's, you know, it, we, we do need to all, we need to all come together in our small communities and realise that, you know, if, like, it's a little bit like that say of like, you know, what's one ciggy butt if you flick it on the ground? Said <sighs> seven and a half billion people. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. it's that one individual action, but on the other hand, let's go to the positive. What if every single person in the world, instead of going, looking at a piece of rubbish on the ground and going, oh, that's really sad, but it's not my rubbish. You know, what if every single person went, oh shit, that's my planet and picked up the rubbish. I'm not going to go and pick up every single piece of rubbish around the world, but if seven and a half billion people had a, change their mindset a little bit and kind of like that's that's the point is changing that mindset to it's all too big and all too hard and who am i i'm one person yeah and if you want to go into the debt of that's what i that's what i did in my 20s when i was in the mining industry 
I didn't like the mining industry. Some people really do. I'm sure you've met those guys that they're like, hey, man, check out. We're going to do a 20-ton lift. Oh, you've got to come and check it out. And I'm like, I I think uh, they only really like it because the lifestyle it affords them. I don't know. There's some guys up there that are a bit weird about it. Anyway, but... I agree. You know what I mean? Those crew that are just like, they're just there, they love, that's all they know. But anyway. I totally think that the majority of people that work in the mines only doing it because it sustains their family and their lifestyle. Oh, for sure. And their lifestyle for the most part. That's... Mm. Yeah. But when I look at that in what I did uh, throughout my 20s, yeah, uh, yes, I'm not going to lie. It sustained my lifestyle of travelling the world. I surfed around the the world and I loved it. Yeah. Had a great time, for sure. house. Yeah. But in the back of my mind the whole time was, wow, fuck, you're working, you're working for an evil thing. It's like, fucking you know, itches, it's doesn't it? <laughs> but you're, then you go, you know, and this is that, that I'm sure what a lot of these, the same as yourself, if you go, oh, man, I'm working for the evil company. But if I quit, what, what's going to happen? Mate, it'll just literally be, hey, uh, oh, sorry, oh, worker 366427, you're quitting? Okay, no worries. Let's get worker 37474, you know, in or whatever it might be. They don't give a shit about you. You're not changing the world. For me, it was a sense of helplessness of, well, well, I'm I'm here. If it's not going to be me, it'll be someone else. I'm not going to stop these companies. I may as well work for them. And that's that was the the mindset that I was stuck in for so long. And it's fine. What changed that mindset for you? Probably the, <laughs> the uh, uh, first of all, doing years and years and years of it um, on and off and traveling. And the second one was probably on the, on, on the most I, I was ever paid ever in my life. It was ridiculous. It was, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we, we figured out it was an offshore gig and we figured out with all the payouts and all that, it was something along the lines like, a day or something like it was just on this pipe lane and it was the most monotonous job I've ever done in my life. It was so boring and every day I either watched the sun come up or go down in the middle of the ocean and then we'd see whales and we'd see all this ocean life and we did that for like nine months and it just, it was, it just, it destroyed me. Like it really was... It, it was it just, just like it, it broke my soul realizing that while well, I was out in the middle of the ocean in this in what I've always loved and I have funnily enough I always I consider myself as an environmentalist since I was a kid I went to my first protest when I was six years old you know like I but I got caught up in that sense of like oh well there's money to be made and I'm not going to be able to stop them so I might as well kind of join them and then after years of that, I just realized, I was like, no, nah, you know what? Even if I don't stop them, I can't do it to myself anymore and I have to be on the right side of history. Good man. And, I, and, and again, I always say to people, you know, people are like, well, what, I, what do you want to do? What are you trying to do? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go save the world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I, it's okay, man. And I don't mean that in that's a way right. of like a Superman, like, hey, no. me by myself, by any means. But I want to be, because I, I used to think that, I, you know, I'm only one little cog in that, you know, gas company or I'm that one little cog in that offshore company or mining company or whatever. So who am I? But now I want to be on that right side of history and I want to be that one little cog still. But I want to be that cog that's actually helping to save the world, you know. And it's not just me. It is... I don't even know, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people around the world that are all standing up and doing their bit. 
to, to, to ensure that that happens. And it really is, it's something where, you know, and again, it goes back to this people kind of go like, you know, I went to Indonesia for a coral restoration program and this other job making sustainable surfboards and I posted one thing this year and a guy had a go at me. Oh, how'd you get over there? Did you use fossil fuels? Yeah, I did. And I'm not claiming to be perfect. You know, like we're sitting here in, a, in, 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 a, in my house where everything we look at has been made with fossil fuels. We are hypocrites. Every single one of us. I suppose, yeah, you try, yeah, because the wood needs everything. to be dressed. Everything, the, yeah, okay, everything right. has been, every, to, oh, everything has, has been delivered here. You know what I mean? Every fuels. single thing you look at <laughs> has had fossil fuels attached to it. it. So every single one of us is a hypocrite. But I want to be less of a hypocrite than I was yesterday. And I want to be less of a hypocrite tomorrow than I am today. I want to keep improving myself and I want to make sure that our society is doing that as well. Yeah. And with the incredible people that I'm meeting along this journey, it is happening. And we are slowly getting there and I think it's gaining momentum. And that's, that for me is the important thing. It's not about where we are today. It's about where we're going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time. All right. So on that, what's next? What, what do we do next? So Nopsim is pulled out. doesn't really matter how they've pulled Equinor's out. Equinor's pulled out. Sorry. Yep. Fuck, I keep right. getting that wrong. <laughs> They're one and the same, mate. So. Oh, they are. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I'm, like, I'm sorry to Nopsim. Um, oh, it's been a long two weeks for me. No, no, no. You're right, mate. And don't apologise to Nopsim. They've done nothing for us. Um, I'm sure they have good intentions. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, listen, what's next? Well, yeah, I'm working on a, on a, a, a surfboard company that is... Um, made out of balsa wood, um, and we are—we're in Indonesia. The, the balsa is from Indonesia, so we're um, working on ways to grow balsa because balsa is really fast-growing wood. And yes. what we want to do there's a, there's a bunch of deforested areas, and what we want to do is plant balsa wood. And as they, it, because it grows so fast, it acts as a canopy for any of the other other oh, kind yeah. of species of, of trees or plants. So we want to plant them and then plant a whole bunch of other, uh, of other species. Um, and then also, you, like, those species will be kind of anything that, that, that the local farmers can actually farm, but in a way that's kind of polyculture farming. So you kind of want to make like a, a small uh, ecological sort of... Like a, a um, uh, yeah, like a, a, a kind of a... Uh, what's the word? I've just forgotten it. I'm going to go with that brain injury. Um, from last year, forget the word, but Doesn't it's got it's polyculture farming. That uh, sounds great, but it's done in a way that they do it with they do it with aquatic with water with with a but anyway, yeah. We, we so so <laughs> we've got that, um, and then yeah, and obviously reducing the our, our footprint, you know, our ecological footprint by taking out foam, um, and we're still in the R and D stages at the moment, but so far the tests have come back really really positive. Um, Good. So they're hollow boards with uh, with ribs in them. And they're really strong. They seem to be really responsive at this point and, and, and quite high performance. Um, but where, and this is where I come, I'm like, I'm making sure that every step of the way, everything is done right from, from kind of from seed, from seed to surfboard. We need to have every step of the way done right for the local communities, for our environment, you know, and really make sure that these boards are done right. And also for it to be sustainable in terms like we were talking about before we started. Yeah, because... The things have to last. We want these boards to be something that sits in your quiver for the next 20 years, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And then also I'm just starting as the National Campaign Manager for Surfrider Foundation um, this week. 
and we're going to do some actions because, you know, like the fight for the bites, it's not over yet. Equinor's pulled out, but I dare say there's an oil company right now looking at it and thinking that they can jump in there as well. Uh, so we're looking for, once again, World Heritage Protection and permanent protection of the Great Australian Bite. And also we're going to be doing some actions on the Gold Coast during during the uh, contest up there, the yeah. World Surfing oh, League nice. contest, yep. as well as down here at Bells. Um, so we're going to really have a presence there and, and kind of and do some actions, whether it be paddle outs or protests, we're still in talks. But it will be where we're really kind of reinvigorating again that the coastal communities and, and empowering them that's that's what my, my kind of key goal is and um over the next kind of 12 to 18 months and, and beyond um and also finding a, a <laughs> trying to find a bit of a a, a work-life balance uh, which i haven't done to, <laughs> i haven't no, done too I much of yeah over the last couple of years um kind of done a lot of yeah a lot of hundred hour weeks so i'm gonna try and I go back to being Damo rather than Damien Cole um, and, and kind of enjoy enjoy what it is that we're, we're trying to save. Yeah, and just enjoy your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking and, of which, you're pretty fortunate to, to have, really. Yeah, yeah. So segueing beautifully. I mean, some <laughs> some f- close friends of mine were a little bit worried about you at one stage. Yes, I think there were a few people that worried about me. Um, I so after the election, so the election was on May eighteenth last year, and I after that about a week later, I just decided to you know I needed to get out of uh, well at least out of you know, yeah out of Australia really. I you know well served me, but I was just getting hit up, and I just didn't have time to relax after the after the election because uh, everywhere I was going, whether it be the supermarket, out in the water surfing, car parks. Everyone wanted to talk to me about the election, and yeah, about how it was, and everything, and dominating and it, your world. And it was, you know, and I, for me, I'm, I'm very, um, I, I, I really appreciate that. You know, I definitely really appreciate that people were coming out to me, and I, I love, I do, I love it. But it, it was, it came at a time when I just, I needed to kind of slip away and just have a little bit of time to recharge because I, I threw everything I had at it. Um, it financially, um, <laughs> uh, I threw everything I had with my energy, with my mental health, um, relationships, uh, everything. I just kind of, it, it, it took a big toll. Um, so I decided to go away and went to um, went to Vietnam first uh, just to really get lost. I went and got lost up in the mountains and it was great. Amazing. Went there for 10 days. And then obviously the ocean... <laughs> called me back and I was like oh, I love this Vietnam thing but I'm still I feel like I'm traveling and I just want to rest and I just want to surf and hang out with good people uh, so I went to Bali and uh, yeah I, I was there and had to borrow some boards because I wasn't expecting to go there and I was borrowing my friends boards and kind of having a good time and uh, that's when I actually started started with this wooden surfboard company sure. uh, called yep. Varuna, by the way, another little mini shout out. Uh, we, we are, we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Um, Be patient. And yeah, then I picked up a friend of mine from the airport who was just in Bali for one day on his way to another, on, on his way to another island and I was like, oh man, I'll, I'll take you surfing, let's go out Uluwatu, which is usually my, my normal hang. Um, dead low tide, very, very low tide, late afternoon, 
the surf wasn't great. And then sitting out there, I just kind of realised because I was waiting for some, I was waiting for some of these wooden boards to get made, and I didn't have my own boards, and I was just getting a little bit kind of edgy. And I remember sitting out there and just kind of, I just had a thought. Where I was like, ah, maybe I might go home tomorrow. I think I'm just going to go home tomorrow, and I'm going to go back to Torquay, reevaluate everything, maybe grab my boards, then I'll come back. And then I'll kickstart this kind of um, this project with the wooden surfboards. So, I, yeah. So I just I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to book a ticket and go back to Torquay tomorrow morning. Yeah, keep going. And then, then the this set came through right on sunset, and I caught the first wave, and I just kind of cruised in. I remember this clear as day. It's it's crazy, um, and it was a little bit fat. You know, just kind of cruising, cruising. I was, and I already, my mind, because I'd been thinking that my mind was already in, I was, I was, I was probably, I was already having a beer in my mind. <laughs> you I was were already, on the beach. Yeah. yeah, I was already on the beach. I was, <laughs> you know, I was, I was already, I was already cracking my first beer. And, um, and then this section that's known as race tracks. Okay, um, I've heard of it. Yeah. Right on low tide, it gets, it's, it's a really heavy section um, and it barrels. Like, and... I just kind of remember looking at it and just going like, oh, I might as well pull in. Not, not the usual like, okay, barrel's coming Committed, up. Committed. Commit. Kind of. you know, I remember just going, oh, I'll just pull in. When I, you know, and I just didn't think. And I pulled into this barrel and then the foam balls kind of hit me from behind and then I've tumbled and then underwater, I've just copped my surfboard to the head um, directly onto my eyebrow, like on my right eyebrow across my eye and down my cheek was the whole rail. Um, and I've just kind of felt stars straight away and it was a bit of the, it was one of those just like, oof, that was a bit harder than, you know, usual. Like, oh, all right. And I've come up, I'm looking at the cliff there at Uluwatu and there was a bit of a droopy look on my right eye and I was like, oh, what's that? And I've touched my head and I just felt my, my finger go into my head and just kind of go... <laughs> And it just kind of cracked, exactly oh, like that chair cracked. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of heard it go, you know, in my head, you know when you get hearing in your head? And I felt it crack and I was like, oh, that's not good. Like, and I, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious what you think in, in times of, you know, in times like this. Yeah. I turned, so I was looking at the clip and I turned around, kind of back out to sea to look where my board was and... I've seen the next wave go past me and I just remember kind of looking at it and going like, oh, wow, look at that thing. No one's on it. Like I was just like, <laughs> this thing just like <laughs> unleashed in front of me and I was just like, oh, and then I just kind of went, oh, and I pulled on my leg rope and got my board, turned around and just went straight into the beach um, and kind of like dry docked up onto the beach, or onto the reef. Yeah. And then I looked down at the reef and... It just a cascade of blood just kind of went onto the onto the reef, and I was like, oh, "Shit, I'm in a bit of trouble here." So I've ripped off my t-shirt. That I, funnily enough, actually, it was a fight for the bite t-shirt, yeah. <laughs> which uh, so we're now selling pink uh, fight for the bite t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, limited stock to one. Yeah, one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great for any Christmas present or birthday present if anyone out there wow. wants it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've ripped my T-shirt off, put it on my head and then like 
uh, grabbed my board and just started waving, waving at my mate to come in. And um, he's come in. He's looked at me and he's like, "You all right, mate? Like where?" And I was like, "Looked and I was like, oh, I think I've done something here. Hey, eh? like, you want to have a look?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So I've kind of showed him, and nah. he's. It was one of those again, one of those moments when people, you know, when people try and stay, stay calm. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, it's all I'm, in. The, I'm I've got some hard. really cool photos, by the way. I don't <laughs> want to see. I'm like, I'm squirming. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, so, you're squirming all I'm, over I'm the place. Hey, do you I, need another beer or something, no, mate? I, feel, I, I get really bad at empathy pains. I can um, just feel it. Go on. So yeah, he looked at he looked and he his eyes went really wide and he went, "Yeah, I, I think you need to go to the hospital, mate." I was oh, like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, "Do you reckon stitches?" And he was like, "Yeah." <laughs> so we've gone up the cliff and. Um, yeah, just kind of got it, got in a taxi and then off we went to, to the first hospital and we, because obviously, you so know. the first hospital. First go hospital, on. yeah. Right. So we went, because we, we tried to go to a bit of a, I, I didn't know how bad it was. I heard the crack, but then, you know, I don't know. I was also probably pretty, well, I was definitely concussed um, pretty badly. Um, and yeah, so we went there and then like I had a CT scan and then he was my, my mate Mitch Wells. This guy I've known him since I was a little kid. Yeah, um, he's an incredible guy. Like, yeah, incredible guy. Um, and he he straight away he's like, right, we need to get you out of Indonesia. Let's get you to Australia. He's like, we'll get you on any flight, whether it be to Darwin, WA, wherever. Well, let's just get get you back onto Australian soil. And then the doctor comes back and he said, oh, you have a, a compressed fracture. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, well, you know, cool. Can, can I fly out tonight then? And he kind of looked at me like, just, uh, I don't think you understand. He's like, you have a compressed fracture. He's like, we have to, we have to operate right now. I was like, oh, shit. I can't do it in Australia. <laughs> He's like, no, you're not allowed to fly. Like, you have an open wound straight to your brain. Like, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? Okay, like that bad. All right. Um, yeah. And then the hospital we were at, it did have a CT scan machine, but it wasn't... It's good. It's, it's a good start. You can buy them on eBay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what that logo that was scratched off was yeah. at the bottom there. Ah, yeah. righto. Yeah. All right. <laughs> eBay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought that was just an eBay scanner. No. Um, <laughs> there was some scratch. Anyway. I'm so glad my CT scanner went to a good hospital. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you sell it to Bali? Yeah. Mm, I got a good so bank we, of that too. So we, uh, yeah, so this, and then he, he kind of straight away came out the prices of the operation and it was, I can't even remember. It was like, oh. A lot of money. No, it was like two and a half thousand dollars or what? something. What? Yeah, it was something like that. I, maybe three thousand. I can't remember exactly. I was, had a bit going on. I was, yeah, <laughs> had a bit on my mind. Had a bit going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so then, yeah, so then, and this is when my mate stepped in and I was like, oh, all right, maybe I'll just get operated in. He was like, no, we're going to BIMC, which is Bali International Medical Clinic. He's like, we're going to buy an BIMC. And I was like, oh, and he's like, no, we like, because I was going like, fuck, I don't know, it's a bit expensive, I don't know. And he's like, we're going there, we're going there, like, push me into it. I was like, yeah, okay. And I was, I was like, all right, cool. Like, sweet, as long as you can get me some painkillers, because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I need something right now. Like, yeah. Um, and then we got, I guess, what you would call an ambulance um, <laughs> <laughs> to, to the next hospital. <laughs> Um, it was pretty classic. It was kind of looking, it looked like just an old 
beaten up egg beater, really. <laughs> but it was fine, you know. Like, so off we went. It was only about, you know, 20, 20 minutes down the road. Um, and then got put into that hospital, which is a great hospital. Um, it's funny, yeah. So when we got there and then, um, yeah, then they kind of looked at it and went, yeah, you're, you're pretty banged up. Um, we're going to have to operate. But before we do that, uh, we need some money first up, up, up front. Um, and then that's about the point when I realised that I'd forgotten to get travel insurance for the first time in my life. Because um, you weren't expecting to go to Bali. I wasn't expecting to go to Bali and I'd gotten out of the country so quickly, I just, ha- I just wasn't thinking. And, uh, and it, it's, it's a mistake that I've, I've kicked myself over every day since. Sure. And... Fuck, whatever. If you believe me, you believe me. If you don't, you don't. But it was an honest mistake where I know that I'm a pretty adventurous character when I go overseas and I get... Because I always have mum in the back of my head usually going like, make sure you get travel insurance. So for me, I I get it all the time because I know that it it is. It's exactly that. It's insurance for the stupid shit that I sometimes do. Um, But this time I did. I forgot. Um, And then funnily enough, I was... Then my mate went, oh, but you've got a credit card. Like maybe the flight that you booked on it, you know, you might... Um, and because I'd maxed out my credit card on the fight for the bike campaign earlier, you know, a couple of months earlier, uh, I, yeah, I, I actually couldn't afford my ticket on that card and I'd had to use another card. And so I, I was was in Indonesia with, yeah, I was maxed out. So I, I essentially, I was in Indonesia with a pretty big hole in my head and no insurance, (laughs) And then came the bill, which was just for the operation was twelve and a half thousand dollars US. Did you think about going back to the other hospital because it was two and a half? Mate, I started. I started looking at the thread and needle and just going like, maybe I can do this myself, you know? Like, no. So, so I just kind of went off, and so I and this was like just that was just for the surgery. Then it was five hundred US a night for the bed, plus all medication, plus all the food, plus all the checkups plus you know like it all adds up um so i had to call mum um so there i am at at kind of 32 years old and calling mum uh which was you know not the best phone call she ever received that's for sure um telling her that i've fractured my scar to kind of do that i'm all good i'm fine i'm having a laugh i'm here with mitch but um, I do have a fractured skull and I do need emergency surgery uh, and I need $12,500 like today, like now. Um, and my parents, my mum had actually just given my dad his divorce papers like three days before. I'm so sorry. So, I, listen, it's fine. Um, and she was like, okay. And she said, oh, well, listen, I've got some money in the bank and it, it, and my mum's always been a great saver. And she said, oh, it's, it, it was always meant to be for a rainy day, so it's okay. Um, you know, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And I was like, all right, cool, like da-da-da-da. And then like, and then in that same conversation, she just quickly kind of mentioned, and, oh, by the way, I, I think I found a new place. Um, it's like a kind of a retirement village thing. And I and, and all I got to do is put the deposit... Uh, and, it, oh. and then she just backed oh. and I went, oh, mum. And I'm like, are you serious oh. right now? And she's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's fine, fine, fine. And I was like, and my really good friend of mine, uh, another, so Mitch had to leave that morning. So he helped me all the way there. 
And then the next, so that was, by the time we got to this second hospital, it was about midnight. Um, so by the morning, he had to leave and then Anna stayed by my side the whole way. Oh, um, the Dutch? Yeah, the Dutch girl yeah. who's just, she's one of my all-time best friends. She lives in Bar. She's, you know, owns this hat, hat company called Reckon that's just epic. I've helped her with that. And we've, we've, we've sure. gotten along since the very beginning and, and then she was there for that. She came straight out at, at, at to, the, to the hospital and she was listening to my conversation and... Um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a pretty heavy time for me because it was just that sense of just I felt so useless, man. I just felt like a fucking idiot, you know. Thirty two years of age, I've just I've gone through elections. I have taken on fucking oil, fossil fuel companies. I've you know stood done all this stuff, and then I go to Bali and I couldn't even get myself travel insurance you know like what a fucking idiot i can't believe i've forgotten this what am i gonna do? like you know and it was really and mom said don't worry about it we'll, we'll sort it out and then i hung up and Anne just looked at me and she's like go fund me we're going go fund me and i was like oh no 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 i can't do that i'm like not after everything i've just been through um i i, I really i i'm like i can't ask for people for help and no and she just looked at me and she was she almost, she didn't get angry, but she was just like, after everything you've done, a little bit she's pissed. like, yeah, yeah, just like, no, this is a time that people, like, that you need people, take the help. Like, and she was, it wasn't even a question, she wasn't like, uh, she was just like, this is what's happening. Um, so I, I just thought, fuck, all right, like, okay, you know, and she set it all up and I was kind of in and out of consciousness and kind of, then, then we, mum actually put the money through initially, right? So she did, and then I got the surgery, and then... Um, within within kind of so the surgery went all good. Um, got it, you know. It was a fuck. I mean, it's it's an expensive hotel, five hundred US a night. It didn't even get a fucking window. How's that <laughs> in this in this hospital bedroom? I couldn't believe it, eh? <laughs> and anyway, so I um, and then kind of by the time I came to, and then fuck. The, the GoFundMe page has started up. And so, so for anyone, if anyone's lost it at the timing of this, it's just after the election. So this was June 17th, 2019, yeah. just after the first series of Fight for the Bite, but before, before the National, uh, National Day of Action, which was on November 23rd. Yeah. Um, and I came to, and after a couple of days, realised, and Anne kept coming up to me and going like, this GoFundMe page is going crazy, you know. Um, and then we ended up, I, I, we ended up raising, um, I think it was twenty-one and a half thousand dollars in the space of like three or four days. Saved your life. Um, yeah, it really, it really did. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, it was a big one. That one that just really, I'm just. I'll be forever, forever grateful, um, forever grateful to every single person that that ever contributed to saving my life. I guess like that's because you stood up when people needed it, bro, to save their community. Yeah, because people didn't have a voice and people were feeling cheated about it in their communities. For who the fuck's going to represent us when this shit's going down? I know, it's just, it's a weird one because I just look at that as like, I, I, you know, it's not that I disagree, but I kind of go like, yeah, but that's just what I did. It's fine. Like, people didn't have to chip in. Um, but they did. And I, I just, like, it really, it, 
fuck, it's, it just kind of like it blew me away to see the response and the fact people were just so willing. People were dropping cat like it was just out of hand. Um, yeah, it just really... And I had people as well that kind of um, in Torquay that, that sent money straight to my bank account as well and were just like, you know what, just look after yourself when you're there and make sure you get a nice hotel while you're staying there. <laughs> it's the best yeah. I've got no view. Uh, it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I Mate, I couldn't believe it, you know. Like, and then the funny thing is I was only there, I was only in there for four or five nights. So I can't even remember. And then like I walked out of my room, heading home, checking out. I fucking walk out in my, into my floor and I look over to my right and there was a corner room that had this like 180 degree view, like beautiful big windows all lit. Then the room next to it had a big, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful window as well. And then I looked to my left, same thing again. I was like, I just got the one. It's like they got me the... Like, no, it was, it was a really nice room. <laughs> apart from the fact it was literally pitch black for five days, you know, like... Um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. I was like, oh, get me out of here, you know. And then this is the funny thing. Like, so as I said, I had kind of family friends that are also put some money together and, and, and just put into my bank account, not for medical. My medical expenses ended up costing about $20,000. Okay. Um, and then some friends put some extra money in. They just said, you know what? Spend it however you want. We don't even care. Just please look after yourself. And I went and got a $20 a night hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it's still embarrassing. I just, I was like, nah, you know, I'm just used to going to shitty plan for me. I was like, well, I'm getting an aircon, so I'm really living it up now. <laughs> got a fan. Yeah, I got a fan and an aircon, you know, like, um, and I stayed there the first night and I called mum when I got out of there and, and she's like, so where are you staying, you know? And I, I, I said, I was like, oh, I'm just staying at this place, just near Anne's place and. You know, and she's like, how much is it? And I was like, oh, about 20 bucks. You know, it might have been 25 bucks. And she's just like... <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Damo. You know, the, the Perrys, the Laws... Um, and, and the Perrys and the Laws and the, and the singers have put money into your account to go and look after yourself. You, you almost died. You deserve to get... Please go to a clean room. Can you go get some clean sheets, please? <laughs> so I stayed one night in this cheap hotel and then I realised, I was like, the, the joint smelled like, just smelled like mildew, <laughs> it was just fine. And um, yeah, so then I went, now finally I just went, yeah, you know what, once in a lifetime, like, it's not like you fracture your skull every day. So <laughs> I went and got myself a, a nice, um, yeah, a really nice hotel um, with a good view, um, good, ocean view. Yeah. But then you know what else it had? It had a, a view of the airport from a distance because it was on the Bukit Peninsula. Ah, and I was told that I wasn't able to fly for 10 days because, uh, because of all the, the pressure in my head and all stuff. that and the swelling. So uh, funnily enough, like I, I'd sit there and then every time I watched a plane go up, the anxiety kicked in and kind of I started looking and I'm like, man, imagine when I get on this plane, like what if... What if my uh, head just kind of explodes, explodes. you know, like something else, feel it bubbling and then it just goes, you know. The, like, the poor person sitting next to you just all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. Whoa. Like, <laughs> she comes past, do you want a nap? Can yeah, for that? Oh, oh, that'll be $5, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Jetstar. Good Jetstar, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Nah, but listen, but it, and that's when I realized as well, probably because the whole time I was just going like, oh, no, it's fine. Like I, I didn't really realize the severity of it at the time. And I think that's probably the concussion and the shock. And um, yeah, there was, there was kind of a lot going on and I was, I was probably still dazed from even the anesthetic and all of that. And yeah. then, I, then I started getting a, a, a couple of... Um, uh, a couple of panic attacks. I had a panic attack middle of the night, one night that I remember that just, it's its a panic attack like I've never had before. It just took control of me and just felt like it just threw me around the room, hey. Like, and it, I, it was just this uncontrollable anxiety of just, yeah, and I, and I didn't know what it was and uh, what was happening and then kind of spoke to a few people and kind of, I didn't have much else to do. So I obviously looked on Google and, <laughs> Apparently, head trauma, you, you get a lot of kind of um, side effects, you know. And, um, yeah, it was one of those kind of like heavy moments. Like, and, and that's, okay, so I'm going to be dealing with this a little bit. Um, and then I'd lost a lot of memory and kind of lost um, kind of a lot of my processing skills. Sure. Which was quite frustrating. Um, but, yeah, I, I got home kind of... Oh, it would have been 10, 12 days after the, after the, uh, after the, my accident. And then, um, yeah, kind of spent the next few months trying to tell, I, it was a really interesting few months. It was probably the darkest few months of my life, to be honest. I don't know if you want to go into this, but it was a fucking... I was struggling just trying to, like, yeah, I'm just having like little, little individual little freakouts at the moment. I was just feeling... Just feeling that uh, if we were recording this right now, I think people would see what I'm trying to like hold back. I'm just yeah, to, well, I'm that's like, what I'm kind of looking feel, across, going like, "You're right." Or? Yeah, I can just feel them. Yeah, we don't have to go into it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as I, as I said to you at the very beginning, I kind of said like, "Mate, I'm an open book, and and yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, it's up to you if you if you want to go along with it." But uh, yeah, listen, I won't even. It, it, the fact was, it was just a really hard time that for those few months coming home after a month, I'll. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll try and take the emotion out of it. And, uh, <laughs> I kind of came home and it was like post-election, post-fight for the bite. Uh, I had no job, no money. I'd just been, in my opinion, I'd been, uh, you know, by my own actions, publicly humiliated. Um, yeah, I can because whilst it was incredible to have all the support, I copped a little, just that minuscule fraction, which is a, we we... The mind is a funny thing, you know. Um, it is the uh, universe. With the, with the hundreds of, of, of messages of support and the thousands of dollars raised, tens of thousands of dollars raised, there was a couple of a couple of pretty very negative comments that were made. Um, one guy wrote um, wrote uh, an article about me um, and kind of uh, it was it was definitely having a dig at dig at me, saying that. How could I ever lead lead any campaign like that if I can't even get my own travel insurance? And how can I even be taken seriously? Isn't that isn't that isn't that a shame though for all the positive messages the the, the countless positive messages that you would have got? It's those couple of negative ones that stick. It's it's it's, it's uh, and that's the thing I'm, I'm just beings, telling you exactly. Bro. This is it yeah. was really because then people were like, "Hey, just focus. Look at the look at all the hundreds of messages you that you're getting." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I know." But it's so hard to ignore those. Someone one has just told me you those know, two. Like, yeah, someone was kind of yeah. Anyway, there, yeah. there was some there was some pretty. I don't even want to bother getting into it's it okay. now because it, it, if 
if they've got a problem with it. Like one guy, the funny one funny thing that a guy kind of did say in one of his messages was like, because someone came in and backed me up. Sure. And then uh, said like, you don't even know Damien. How can you do that? And he actually wrote back, I feel like I got to know Damien quite well during his public campaign and social media account. And that was for me the final. I was like, oh, oh you think you know me because you followed me for a few months in my... You know, in, in a campaign, like, fuck off, mate. Like, you don't know shit about me. Like, but anyway, um, so there was this, this really weird time when I came back, kind of end of June, start of July, middle of winter as well in Victoria, like pretty cold and bleak and <laughs> trying to tell myself that, you know, and I was all right and I was going to get back on the horse and now all my friends were telling me just calm down, just, just take a little bit of time off and I kept trying to do stuff and kept trying to just really kickstart stuff and... Then I kind of had a moment where I realised, like, nah, I've had a, you know, I've had a pretty big shock to the system. You've gone through trauma. Yeah, yeah I'd had a pretty yeah, big, chill. pretty big mishap. So, yeah. um, it was a, a day like, and like we were talking about before we started recording. There were days where I'd get up, I'd have breakfast, and then I'd look around and I'd go, oh, not today, <laughs> and I'd go straight back to bed, and yeah. I just wouldn't get up for the day. You it's know? okay. Um, and yeah, and it was okay. And then the next day I'd kind of make sure that I'd at least get up and just go for a walk. Um, yeah. But I spent a lot of time by myself uh, for those few months and there was a lot of reflection and it, it, was, it was a really dark time and I really kicked myself for a very long time about, well, not having insurance and kind of having to lean on those people. It felt like I'd gone back to, you know, back to square one. Um, but... Yeah, after I guess, yeah, after I guess a few months, I actually, one of my friends, one of my, uh, Katie Griff, who's on, on my team as well, she's a fucking weapon, she's <laughs> called General Griff, um, she just said like, oh, I'm going up the coast, you know, do you want to, you know, just for a road trip, she's a teacher and she's like, I've got a couple of weeks off, do you want to come up? Um, and I was just like, oh, and I kind of, I was like, nah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, I, yep, yeah. uh, yep. That's what I'm doing. I'm coming. I, and then I, and then Alex, um, who I was just talking about, Alex Marshall. She called me one night, and she'd been. She's had a really. She had a big year as well, and she was running on empty. And I kind of, I was heard. I was like, "You're running on empty." I was like, "Hey, do you want to come up the coast with me and Griff?" She was like, "Oh, yep, all right." So she's jumped in, and we did this epic trip, which again probably soothed my soul. You know, just again, like like I said earlier, to to go and enjoy and appreciate the things that you're trying to save you know it's quite an important thing um and yeah i and then on the way home that's when sean called me and said listen we're doing a national day of action um and we need you we, we need you to to kind of organize it yeah. and run it um so it kind of kick-started me and that was october 5th um so whatever it would be like uh july august september three and a half months after my accident and how are you now? And then, uh, well, that that probably helped a lot. And I, I probably keep telling myself that I'm all good. And after that, though, I was getting still getting quite tired, quite a lot, and my memory was still not quite there. Mood swings, um, still having panic attacks. Um, yeah, still dealing with stuff, but kind of learning how to deal with it and being quite open with people about it, going and seeing someone. Um, I've, I've been seeing a therapist, well, I've been seeing a therapist for kind of, you know, a good 18 months now, uh, a couple of years, even close to two years now. 
uh, which is incredible for anyone out there. If you're even contemplating seeing a therapist, just do it. It's incredible. So good. I feel like I just go out there and I just go, bleh, there's all my shit. And the guy, (laughs) you know, put it out on the table and they just look at it and go, oh, yeah, that makes, okay, this makes sense because of this, 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 and this. That's amazing. It's fucking awesome. Anyway, um, so after a few months and and probably the fight for the the National Day of Action really helped a lot. Uh, And then I got to mid-December and... Just fine. I, I went again. I was just like, I need time off. Some true time off. Not recovering, but time off. Um, because I'd been Damien Cole for the best part of a year and a half. Um, Damien Cole, the independent candidate, the fight for the bike campaigner, the Spring Spring Creek fucking whatever. The, you know, just constantly on the fight, on the go. People were kind of coming to me with problems and I was always, you know, like around town, around our community, which again, I love doing. I love helping people. But I realised that I got to a point where I was... I, I needed time off yeah. to really shut off. Um, and I went... First of all, first went to Phillip Island for a surf trip with my, you know, with my best mate. Uh, for five days, we scored too. The waves were pumping. And I was like, okay, cool, that's good. And then I got back and I was like, oh, I'm still really just, oh, I'm just tired and whatever. And I went, all right, well, I'm taking the rest of the year off, you know, and then I'll come back early Jan. And then I met a girl on Christmas night um, at, a, at a friend's barbecue in the park. Um, this just, she's, she swept me off my feet, man. She's just incredible. Um, and from Christmas Day up until the other day, she, we spent every single day together um, and I switched all of my social media off. And from Christmas Day till the end of January, I just spent time with her and driving down the coast and surfing. She surfs as well. Um, that was, uh, I went to Tassie with her. Yep. Um, and just connected with her and just fell so madly in love with her. Like, and then I said, oh, I'm going to Indo for work with these wooden surfboards, you know, and she just kind of went, oh, I might go to Indo as well. That's where she was heading anyway. And, I, and she, but it was, you know, she said, oh, I might as well come a bit early. Um, and then <laughs> Why not? we, and then, yeah, when we were over there, I had to go away for a couple of days, but then, then I, you know, got onto a boat trip, a, a, a mm. kind of, yeah, like I threw another friend and we were testing boards as well. And I invited her on and she was like, yep, come in. And then, um, yeah, we, and, and then kind of came home just the other day and now I've got to go to Europe for, to again for, for Varuna for these boards and then I just kind of asked her to, to come along with me and I was like, do you want to come Ooh. for a little adventure? And she jumped on it as well and um, it's been the most incredible start to a year that I've ever had, I think, and just like... Well, there's a saying, I'm not uh, a religious person at all or a spiritual spiritual person at all, but there's a, there's a pretty cool saying. It's uh, you, you, ne- you, you don't get to go to heaven until you've been through hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Um, I don't know. I, it's funny though because I look at the, I look at my injury as. It sounds really weird when I say this, but I'm actually really happy that it happened. A lot of people say this. Um, yeah, like I don't know. It's, it's common. It is. It forces people to reflect, it, and it really it. did, yeah. and it and it did, and I battled it, and I wrestled it for a long time, and then finally I just went, 
yeah, okay. And, and it, I, I let it, let it go. And as I said, I, one thing that, you know, well, actually Lauren, who is this girl that I've fall, fallen deeply in love with, um, she keeps saying it. She's like, just be kind to yourself, yeah. you know. And I still have my moments here and there where I have a like panic attacks or I have a bit of a, you know, a, a mood swing and she just keeps saying to me, just be kind to yourself, you know. You've been through a lot and you've, you've had a big time and... I, yeah, I don't know. I, I've I've lived I've lived a very fortunate life my whole life. Um, yeah. I've had an incredible family and an incredible network of friends. Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel the world. Um, and the last couple of years has been huge, but it's been such a big development, like self development, and kind of it's been empowering for me because I've realised I've gone from thinking nothing of myself and that I'd never amount to nothing and that I was you know just part of that that fossil fuel cog to turning it around and realizing that well you know you're not going to have you're not going to win everything and you're not going to you're not going to kind of you're going to go through you know through bumps and ebbs and flows but at the end of the day if I can stick true to myself and kind yeah. of really keep keep pushing forward in the things that I believe and the, and and push with the values that I hold true and hold dear then then I can hold my head high um and I guess, yeah, that's what I've really tried to do over the last couple of years. And now I'm, I'm trying to find the balance because Lauren's actually really, I felt like Damo for the first time in, in a, a year and a half. And yeah. it's been a huge thanks to her. Um, and I really, I, I just can't wait to, to go on more adventures with her. And, you know, the way we're going to Europe kind of together in a, in a few days and who knows what will happen after that. But I'm excited for the future um, and for what it holds. Well, um, it's a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Nice, think... beautiful, positive note like that. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> you're kidding me. That was... Yeah, that wasn't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, oh, it's it's a roller coaster ride with me, eh? <laughs> Bro, it's my life. It's my life. Yeah. It's, it's it's the life I accidentally choose to lead. Well, it's, but that's, I think that's it's great, isn't it? Yeah, I can't. I I don't know any other way to live. Why so, would you though? I don't know. I don't. I don't want to look back when I'm 70 years old and go like, "Geez, I worked really well," <laughs> you know, like mm. in a nine to five doing that. I'm like, I want to. I wanted to have a roller coaster all the way to the end. You know, like yeah. I want to be doing like all it. kinds of crazy shit. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I like the ups and downs. I like the. <clears throat> I like the highs and the lows and the. Yeah. I like the life experience and I like being able to look back and then going. I've lived a lot of lives. You've got it, yeah. Not everyone truly lives, you know, and that's. I, I think we're fortunate enough to have the opportunity to. So I think it's 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 only right to to yeah. kind of make the most of it, you know. And that's that's kind of what I'm doing. And I, the great thing is, I'm 33 years old, and fuck, mate, I'm just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. I cannot wait to see what life throws at me over the next 10, 15 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years. Um, yeah, it's going to be a fun ride. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to see what happens. So, thank you so much for jumping on the show and being honest with me and and uh, everyone out there listening. It's it's uh, refreshing. Yeah, oh, thanks, mate. Appreciate it, and thanks to everyone for listening as well. I probably rambled here and there, but you know, I <laughs> get excited. That's <laughs> what we're here for, man. They're here to listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um. Uh, thanks heaps, Kieran. Really appreciate it, mate. Thank you, bro. Thank All right, you. Cheers.